This is going to be on YouTube, right? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, always. I have uh, a few people asking in the chat. Uh, Dan, you want to get him the link? Yeah, I just want to check YouTube. Once it pops up, I'll send the link. quiet maybe that's me yeah i'm quiet i'm like yelling over here oh well maybe it's me i don't know it's been it's been a long day man i i, I was selling you oh, off you know what i know what i did uh-oh see now see, it wasn't we're, we're good me. are you am I now we're now? good am i better now now okay. now we're good hold on it's not like it's this is like live been... nope stop full stop oh skip ahead Oh, that's the fade right there. Welcome to Beerfield. <laughs> Beerfield Hop. Chris Hopper. As always, joined by Beerfield Thurry. Dan Thurry. Do I sound better now? You not only do you sound better, but I feel like we're off to the greatest start. That would be a and great, we always great edit point if we edited anything. And we don't fucking I mean like I feel like if we're a podcast based around drinking booze and we and we do at it it just feels like we're cheating the audience off of golden content so we are 100 percent cheating the audience but what we're not cheating the audience out of today is our guest um we have one of our favorite guests to have on the last time we killed a guy i think the last time he was here um, we are super excited to welcome back brad starks you know him as roto lounge king of the bourbon bowl and that hold on that reminds me hold on we gotta I gotta get into some more appropriate attire. Just, just give me a second. Oh shit! I should have. I wore mine for disc golf this weekend, so it's not clean yet. God, see, damn. If I would have known, like you know, you know, playing this out longer, yes, I would have wore my shirt today. But I mean, yes, sir. Represent Roto Lounge, baby, Bourbon Bowl. I mean, yeah, I did. Baby. <laughs> I did this play well. We Jesus, guys, we this haven't even started drinking it. yet. We, we haven't even talked about where we're drinking yet. Hoppers get oh. naked on. On live, t- on this live is, YouTube. This is the beginning. Legendary, on, I... legendary uh, episodes here. Jeez, we're uh, there were we're no, there were no nipples, so it's still PG thirteen. <laughs> uh, I love it. Appreciate it. Sweet. Uh, at Beerfield on YouTube, if you want to see what just happened there. <laughs> Beerfield podcast, I think actually. That was going to be you click not not for children. Yeah, that's right. Not safe for children. <laughs> Not safe for work. I mean, I did play well when I wore your shirt in disc golf. I beat my buddy Dickie. So, I mean, it, the shirt brought me luck. I'll just say that. You were wearing that shirt when we played on Saturday, too, didn't you? Yeah. He yeah. also beat me, but that's less of an accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to break about that. If it brings uh, you luck, make sure you wear it for the draft this year. We're both three. Well, I'm going to need a little bit of help after last year's fiasco. So, um, I probably need it. Hey, real quick, why don't you tell people about the the Bourbon Bowl and you know what you're what you're doing there, what we do there every year, and about yourself. So the Bourbon Bowl, the Bourbon Bowl is taking me a lot longer this year than ever. I still have some shirts to send out. I still have to calculate to get the remaining piece of uh, of our entry to charity. But basically, it's just a group of 
of bourbon lovers that also love fantasy football. We get together, uh, play rules based on, you know, kind of similar to the Scott Fish Bowl, but just kind of unique rules. Uh, just get the bourbon crew together and uh, the winners and second place get a bottle of bourbon. Uh, I send samples out and then whatever's left, uh, you know, we send, I send to charity and um, I'm almost finished with this year. We're going to get ready for bourbon bowl three. So, you know, it's, it's a good, it's a good experience. It's fun. The, the bourbon family is just, just so nice. Um, and, and they're good at fantasy football as well. So, it just it just makes it so much better. But if anyone's interested in playing fantasy football with bourbon lovers, find us at Bourbon Bowl, hashtag Bourbon Bowl, Bourbon Bowl 3. Uh, that's what we're going to do for 2022. I don't know how big you want to make this thing, but I do run a 10,000-person bourbon group in St. Louis, so I might be able to to market you a yeah. little bit. He knows some people. I mean, he knows. He, like he's I do know he's like rub he's he's rubbed some elbows with some important bourbon people. Yeah, he likes well, the, he likes to talk about it every now and then. Freddie Johnson, the first year, lovers. The first, yeah. The the first year we did uh, two leagues, and then last year we did six leagues. So I'm not quite sure five leagues. I'm not quite sure how high I want to get it, but that's why I was asking. <laughs> if you do want to get it bigger, let me know. If not, we'll just keep this. It's, our it's little about secret. to be. It's about to be Scott Fishbowl style, where you should start drawing names to people. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I definitely have to uh, figure out how to streamline this because it's taking me a lot longer than I was hoping for to get this everything shipped out this time. But yeah. uh, I'll work on that. We'll, we'll grow it this year. We'll see how big it gets, and then let's see what we can do in a few years. That's right. Absolutely. Um, hey, before we get started, just a, a little promo here. Um, I did a guest spot this past weekend on High Spots and Kickouts, WrestleMania Mania recap, WrestleMania week recap. Uh, so if you want to hear me talk for a couple hours about WrestleMania and, you know, bring some good old-fashioned beer field technical difficulty to their show, I was not buying the controls. It was not my fault, but we may have had somebody trip over the mixer board in the middle of that one. And then Audacity just randomly stopped recording a couple times. It was a fun time. It's the only pod, one of the only times we've ever been on a podcast that goes longer than ours. That was three and a half hours worth. So, um, but be sure to go give it a listen. It's high spots and kickouts. You can listen to them everywhere where you're listening to us, except for like YouTube, basically. Is, does that beat out? Does that beat out the ball blast? It was the same length, except it's about this. I was gonna say it was about the same length. <laughs> it, yeah, it was about the same length. We all also learned. Uh, I taught their co-host, one of my friends, Brant. You know Brant Dan. That uh, yeah, I do. Ryan Cabrera is not the lead singer of Dashboard Confessional. That that also came up. So, all right. Um, <laughs> that being said, <laughs> show's been I love off the it. Rails since we started. Oh, uh, great. We're going to talk, uh, it's NFL draft season, so we're going to talk the 2022 NFL draft here on episode 383 of Beerfield. We're going quarterbacks and running backs. This is also the official start of season six because it starts with rookie previews. So, this season six? This is year six. Fuck, man. 380 episodes, is that what I heard? Yeah, 383. Three. Just think if we were on the like we were doing so many like year one and two, if we would have maintained that pace, we would have been like at like the ballers level yeah. of episodes. Seven and like making like ninety and making like ninety percent less than them. Yeah. <laughs> Seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one. That's five years. This is twenty two. 
That's right. Wow. Basic math, baby. Guys, cheers to that. No, thank I don't you have that. anything to cheers yet, but there's a reason for that. So let's go ahead and get to that point. We're going to talk quarterbacks and running backs today. Uh, we'll have uh, Miguel Chapton on next week, who is uh, releasing. Oh, yeah, another thing I got to mention because I keep forgetting. Um, we'll have Miguel Chapton on next week, uh, who will be uh, releasing Pro Football with his Pro Football PSI rankings very, very soon uh, through the Faceoff Sports Network, which we are also a part of. So, uh, FFFaceoff.com to get, uh, we'll be referencing the rookie ADP sometimes. I know that Ryan and Aaron have done a lot of work uh, article wise there and everything. Uh, you can find a little bit about us there as, as well, but uh, also be sure to check that out. So, Miguel with us next week, Brad with us this week. Uh, before we start anything, though, we are. Actually, going to do this first. Let's do this. Nope, nope. I need a drink. Never mind. This is what happens when you don't plan shows. What's fueling beer fueled? All right, Brad, you are going to tell me what I'm drinking. So I have this empty glass right here. St. Louis Bourbon Society, Kinsey Glass, St. Louis Bourbon Society.com forward slash store new for all your St. Louis Bourbon Society glassware. Um, cheap, cheap shout out. Drew will hate me for that because he actually has to send these. They don't go through our drop shipper. Um, so, anything you think I should try? Anything you have been interested in trying? Anything you see on the shelf behind me that I should, uh, should grab? I'm let you choose. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I I have two things that I was drinking on. I have a uh, a store pick, Elijah Craig, that I could go back to. I see Elijah Craig on your shelf. Uh, I've got a couple Elijah Craig barrel proofs back there, as well as some regular uh, 94 proofers. Right now what I'm drinking, do you have any Russell's Reserve picks? I do have a Russell's Reserve pick back there as well. well let's, let's, let's drink those together tonight. All right. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you guys are so cool, man. I'm over here, like, <laughs> I got like twelve bottles, some hiding, I think, <laughs> places. Actually, this, all right, dog. This I'll do an IPA with you. No, I mean, I'm not even. I'm drinking a barrel age. Actually, one of the first five bottles I got when I started collecting bourbon. It's because it's a Russell's Reserve pick, but it's not a very good one, in my opinion. But I'll revisit it. It's been a little bit. Uh, this was from Root Brothers Wine and Spirits Number Three. Uh, which is in Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, come in, it comes out of Warehouse D, uh, old-style label. So I know yours is mm-hmm. new. This is the older style with the neck tag and everything. Oh, yeah, with the so, tag. Yep, so a little bit older robot. I don't think I have a date here. Yeah, no date on this guy. So uh, 55% non-chill filtered, just like normal. So, uh Give you a review halfway through. Russell's Reserve, by the way, single barrel offerings from Wild Turkey for anybody that's not familiar with them. Jimmy and Eddie Russell. Cheers to that. You want to go ahead and give the uh, the stats on what yours is? Just kind of where it's from. Shout out the store. Anything else about it? Yeah. So so Russell's is one of my one of my favorite store picks. This one, I was in Kentucky. I was visiting uh, with Seth, a patron, and we we were doing a little bottle swap. And I went into a Costco in Kentucky, and they had a full pallet of these Russell Reserve picks. So this is Costco. Shout out to Bo McBrayer. 
Bowman big time. This was uh, distilled in 2011, dumped in 2021. So we're looking like at a 10-year uh, warehouse S floor five. This is a lot better than the last time I visited it. I can say that. Dan, what are you drinking? All right. Because I'm not, you know, super fancy over there drinking different barrel picks from the same distillery from different times. I am drinking Shocker Distill Rocky Road. This is a uh, this is a collaboration they did with Renhouse Brewery. Um, I'm not familiar where they're at. I like I I I forgot that I brought this into the house. I was planning on doing bourbon. I may just so grab some um, uh, at some point. But Renhouse. Renault's uh, brewery. Arizona, Arizona. Arizona. This is a collaboration with them. Rocky Road is a barreled, bourbon barreled age imperial style with roasted almonds, uh, coconut nibs, and vanilla. Um, I've had I've had samplers at the brewery. Um, I was able to grab the snake the last can on my own sampling palette. Yes, I have my own palette of samples. That can be very, very large at times. So I get a lot of free beer. Free beer. Look, I mean, like not a people not beer a competition. <laughs> by free beer, I mean I give my customers and everyone else, you know, beer to drink. So, anyways, yeah, that's what I'm drinking. All right, um, we're gonna go ahead and get into the news here, but before we do that, um, some sad news to to share. I wanted to make sure we all had a drink for. For this one, um, former Ohio State quarterback and uh, you know Washington football team quarterback, Washington Commanders quarterback, whatever they're going by this week. More on them later. And um, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Dwayne Haskins, uh, unfortunately, last weekend was struck and killed by a dump truck uh, while training down in in Florida. Uh, you know, teammates were down there with him. Chase Claypool, I think, was there. Mitch Trubisky was there. Deontay Johnson, I think, was down there. Um, so just a, an all-around sad situation. Loss of, you know, a husband, a brother, um, a teammate who a lot of people had a lot of fond words to say about. So just, uh, you know, T's and P's out to everybody that's affected by that and quick cheers to, to Dwayne Haskins and, what ultimately was a solid career for, by all accounts, a solid young man. Yeah, that in, in reports you always heard was just how much, you know, he, he worked on not only improving his, you know, his game, you know, improving himself on the field, but improving himself as a person. And nothing but, but glowing, just, you know, just glowing comments about him. Uh, we don't need to talk about some of the other shit that happened you know, wouldn't have no. broke out, but um, it, it's very sad. You know, not just a football player, but to see a human being be taken from us at just 20, I think he was 24, 25 years old. Yeah. Um, it's just super tragic. And, uh, you know, it just puts a lot of things into perspective. So, so it cheers to Mr. Haskins, um, you know, rest in, uh, rest in power, sir. And, uh, in, in thoughts and prayers to his uh it's his wife i believe he was married and uh was. the rest of his family absolutely all right on to other things we got some before we get to rookies just some quick news bits to get through sammy watkins one-year deal with the packers immediately the most talented receiver on that roster time will tell if that's going to end up being 
you know, somebody you take a shot on or if the hype's going to get completely out of control, his ADP is going to go through the roof for a guy that hasn't really produced in years at this point. And what happens with that? I think it's just a, you know, it's a good veteran ad. I mean, if, I mean, the Packers really have never shown the wanting to go receiver high in the draft. And while many of us, you know, pegged them to go wide receiver with one of their first round picks, they also have two seconds. So, um, it's not a, a foregone conclusion that they need to go wide receiver at pick 22 or, or I think pick and then pick 28, 29. Um, he can go back in the second round and also select receivers there with the depthness of that, uh, with this wide receiving class that we've seen so far. So, yeah, I think it's a good move just to get another veteran player on the field with Amari Rodgers only in year two. And uh, Lazard is really the only other veteran on that team losing Cobb, Adams, and, and Velda Scanlon. I'm a sucker for Sammy Watkins. Absolutely a sucker. <laughs> Every year I'm a sucker. Every year he buys back in. <laughs> AJ Green, one-year deal at the Cardinals, so he'll be he'll be back. Uh, they lost Christian Kirk. We've talked about how they, you know, they had a, a need. Rondell Moore not really panning out, so you're really down to to Hopkins, and then you know potentially whoever whoever they drafted to fill it. So AJ Green will come back on a one-year deal with them. So it's, it's a, you know, not unlike the Packers, it's a good, you know, one year, is there anything left type signing for a, a, a former stud with AJ Green? He's already familiar with the offense and, you know, they, they definitely had a need there. Who's going to be throwing the football to AJ Green? Uh, Kyler Murray, because I don't think that they don't get that figured out before the season starts. Right Baker now, it's Mayfield. a lot of right now it's a lot of peacocking. Baker Mayfield, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he knows Cliff's offense. Yeah, you know, speaking of Baker, that's true. Hey, that that's is true. Point. It's a he good did, point. He did play for uh, Kurt. He did. For Cliff. It'd be it'd be very fitting to have him back up Kyler Murray though. Yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be uh, that'd be my favorite. He'd be backwards. Backwards. Uh, um, Baker Mayfield, by the way, it came out. He was uh, pretty fucked up most of the season. <laughs> Apparently had a near complete labrum tear in week two. Uh, throwing shoulder. Like full front and 90% of the back. And then dislocated his shoulder again and broke something else in it. So it, basically only healthy for week one in the first half of week two. He's uh he did no one should ever be questioning this man's grit. This this man's uh willingness. I mean it's already issues when the coaching staff can reel him in and sit him. But you can't question the man's wantingness to be out there and try to play through it. Even though he was not very good last year. Or the year before. Or the year before. He's, he had a good end of 2021. Or, I'm sorry, uh, 2020. He was a big reason why he got into the playoffs. But mm. I am also a bigger, a bigger apologist. I will not quit him. I will, I will, I file for truth or status on Baker and I will never quit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't give a fuck what happens to him. I don't care who is backing up in next season or this upcoming season. Hurricane's a nightly appearance on a bathroom trip. Yep. Uh, Dan- she hates being on. She hates being on camera, but she's always on there. Is she every every week? <laughs> <laughs> My wife likes to just walk on through. Every week. 
Uh, one more note, Dan Snyder. Uh, Five million in hidden funds from other NFL owners. Uh, this has apparently become a party lines discussion in Congress because um, the FTC is investigating it. But you know, regardless, uh, you know, the only thing saving him and protecting his ass is that the, the owners have to vote him out as an owner. If it's true that he kept five million dollars in funds from the revenue sharing pool by basically placing the juice elsewhere and you know not um refunding season ticket holder deposits things like that uh you very easily could end up voted out because you know the old white person circle will protect you from old white people things until you start screwing with their checkbook and then they will not anymore dan snyder could be in a bad way which does anybody feel bad about that no, it's a piece of shit. He shouldn't. He should be in jail. He could be. But- I mean, what he did, <laughs> what he did, does violate FTC trade laws. It's all right. You know, he can sexually assault women as much as he wants to, and and do all the terrible things he did. But you start robbing from the rich, my boy, my man's, my dudes. He's That's got- that draws a line right there. Are you saying Dan Snyder's Robin Hood? <laughs> no, because he wasn't it, giving to the poor. In a, dark, it was just in a very fucked up universe, he's totally robbing, robbing from them for himself. That's right, <laughs> and not giving it to anybody else. So there's no bearing on fantasy football. We just hate Dan Snyder. Yeah, I mean, there's so many cookie crumbs to that guy. There's there's so much going on in that franchise. So many cookie crumbs, he'd make Cookie Monster jealous. Maybe we'll get the emails leaked this time. Coupons. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> all right you guys ready to argue a little bit i hope well my i think i, I think brad's famous words before this show kicked off it's it's gonna be great i can't wait dude this right. is true lock oh it's gonna be good all right i'm gonna work through this in two ways we're gonna go by how do you guys want to do this actually i'll put this to a vote do you want to go by, because I have three things in front of me. I have my pre-draft rankings that we can go by and then shred them apart. I have the seven-round mock draft from CBS that we can go through and then address it from there. And I have uh, the uh, Superflex Rookie ADP from uh, FF Faceoff. Let's do that. Let's give our uh, let's give our network a bit of love here. All right, so we're gonna use uh, Ryan Miner has been running a bunch of rookie mock drafts, which is where this ADP comes from. So, first quarterback off the board uh, per that is gonna be Malik Willis. Um, I think. So just I'll set it up, and then we'll we'll kind of toss around to opinion. So Malik Willis being the first quarterback off the board is not something that that I have a lot of problem with because definitely from, from an NFL perspective, but definitely from a fantasy football perspective, he has the most upside of, of anybody in this class. He's the most athletic quarterback in this class. He's got plenty of arm strength, plenty of arm talent, talent. Um, he is not who I have at the top of my list. He's two on my list. Um, so, and we'll get into that in a minute, but where are you guys at with, with Malik Willis? 
I mean, he's my one. He's he's been my one. I mean, it, I mean, you know, for fantasy wise, it, it's 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 hard to ignore his type of ceiling, and we don't with us not having a Lawrence or or Fields level prospect in this class. You just you have to reach for the upside in this point. I mean, the NFL told us they have no fucking clue where these quarterbacks should go and when. It, it, it speaks volumes to kind of the the potential the potential shit show we can see during the actual draft. So Malik's is is it's easily my QB one. Um just I give him the mobility upside. Obviously question marks in this profile for sure. Um but every quarterback in this class does. Yeah, I mean I, I think when you get into this year's quarterback class, you I mean you have to preface in my opinion anyways, when you look at last year's class with Lawrence and Fields and Wilson and Lance, like the quarterback one in this class probably takes a backseat to those four right off the bat. Yes. Right? So just because they're the quarterback one in this class doesn't mean they're going to reach the levels of previous classes. And I think when you talk about it fantasy-wise, Malik Willis hits number one because of those legs, right? That's- you hear it all the time. He, he's not an ideal passer, but his legs are going to bail him out. And, and in fantasy point, you get, you know, you get yard points per rush. So, mm-hmm. you know, you go with the quarterback that's going to have that rushing upside, like the Jalen Hurts. I think what Jalen Hurts had, what, 700 yards rushing last season? You know, Malik Willis could do that if, if you know, his passing's not up par and he's on the field and he's forced to play. He's going to get a lot of rushing yards. So I think that's why he's sitting at fantasy quarterback one right now. Yeah, and he does some things that, like you mentioned, to me is this year's Trey Lance. That's the one comparison I keep drawing up. He's a small school guy that has a ton of athleticism. He's got a big arm. He has all the raw talent, but it's exactly that. He's he's raw. So he's a guy that you may take as the first quarterback off the board, especially in Superflex. And you know we'll find out where he goes in the draft. He may not even start year one. We the fantasy community will think he should. They'll pound the table that he should. But a lot like Trey Lance. He's also a guy that could benefit from sitting for a year because of how raw he is. But, you know, well, from what I saw from him, uh, the mechanics were good. He had plenty of zip on his throws. He had running back-like vision, and he runs like one. That's not This is kind of where the Trey Lance comparison comes from. He doesn't shy away from contact. He's not like Lamar Shifty. He is running like a running back. Um, but refreshing for this class is he actually throws on the run. He's one of the better quarterbacks of this class at actually throwing on the move, which plays well to, you know, a lot of play action, a lot of moving the pocket. So there are some things that you can do with him if you do need him to start year one to build your offense around him. Um, and he does have a decent sense for pressure and will extend plays. That's the one thing you like about quarterbacks that throw on the run is that they're not just taking off to go. You're extending plays, you know, he did not look great against larger schools. That's the one thing about coming from a small school, right? You dominate small schools, but how are you going to do against heightened competition? Uh, again, there's parallels to Trey Lance there. Um, not great reads on his throws, not great timing on his throws. And that's where kind of the question marks come in about how is he going to be as a passer? Because well, <laughs> kind of like um, Lamar Jackson, while the arm talent is definitely there, um, you know, the the reads, um, the timing and everything wasn't quite there and does have a little bit of lax ball security as a runner is kind of what I saw. There's nothing in my mind that says he can't be a starter. There's nothing in my mind that says he can't be productive from fantasy. There is something in my mind that says that 
he's raw and there's definitely going to be a learning curve here, even though he has the most upside out of any quarterback in this draft, especially for fantasy football. Now, before I came on, the uh, they announced who's attending the draft this year. Mm-hmm. And there's only two quarterbacks that are going to be at the draft, and that's Malik Willis and Matt Corral. So that that starts to make me believe that perhaps those two are going to be first-round picks. I just don't know where those quarterbacks are going to fall. You, you look at Carolina mm-hmm. as a potential landing spot, right? Yep. Look at Atlanta yep. as a potential landing spot. And Detroit, I believe Detroit has two first-round picks, right? Yep. But then you also have that consideration of a team moving back into the first to get that fifth-year option on the quarterback. So what do you think about Malik Willis, even if he's quarterback one in this class, where do you think he falls in, like, the overall landscape of fantasy football quarterbacks? So right now, just – we're using CBS for NFL insider mock drafts. And right now they have him going, uh, this is as of three days ago, 20th to the Steelers, which has been a popular landing spot for Malik Willis. I mean, I've seen like just watching how drafts have like, I've been watching the mock drafts throughout the entire off season. It's very fascinating to me. Um, you know, I've been talking about it with the listeners generally, I, it's a kind of a, a way we get to, you know, peek into the minds of, of what these NFL people could be thinking, obviously based through the people that are running up and doing these mocks. And Willis has been, I mean, I've seen him as high as obviously two to Detroit and all the way down yeah. to 20. Now, obviously looking at it from a team standpoint, it's a bit difficult to do because a lot of these mocks don't incorporate trades. The ones that do, again, I don't really care how the team shake up. I want to know where his pick range has gone. One thing that we know for sure that none of these quarterbacks can also say is he's always been in the first round. You know, Pickett, yes. Howell, Corral, all bounce around. Uh, Ritter, I've always been most of. I mean, Pickett's generally been first round, but those four have always surfaced in the you know in late first, early second. I find it interesting that Matt Corral got invited to go, being that majority of the mocks I've seen outside of the super recent ones have him going in the second round. You know, a guy that 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 there's been concerns from his interviews that he showed that he may not have the highest of leadership qualities to him. And we can talk about him when we get we'll to get him, there. but because I'm it, shit it's all over him. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, but to go back to Willis, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Cause you, you know, he, he's one of the most popular top 10 picks and Howell and Pickett and a uh, corral have surfaced in there, but it's always been Willis generally not making pass, you know, pick 12 with somebody trading up with the Vikings because they've, they've been a popular in rumors to be a team that looks that's wanting yeah. to trade down. So, Brad, I'll actually answer your question, though. He falls easily outside of the top <laughs> 10 for me in in, he uh, should. in Dynasty, he should. and he should. He's going to be somewhere in that mid-teen range because of the upside, but there's nothing that is surefire in this quarterback draft class, and I don't think any guy can land inside of the top I would say inside of the top 14, really, to start their career for me. You know, even being younger, I mean, he's he's going to land a little bit further back. Now, for me, where would I put him? I've drawn a lot of comparisons to Trey Lance. It's probably going to be about where I have Trey Lance, which is this black box of massive upside where you haven't seen anything yet. There's a lot of similarities I see in them as prospects, a lot of similarities I see in them as situ- in 
you know, far as their situations go. Um, and I think the upside for those two is very, very similar, but, um, I, I can't put either of them without some level of NFL performance into, you know, into that top, you know, that dynasty QB one range. So they're both firmly in the QB two range for me. Yeah. And I, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but, uh, I'm afraid that Seattle, I pick nine mm-hmm. since they have Drew Locke, they need a quarterback. <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think I think Seattle might look at Malik Willis at nine overall to replace Russell Wilson. Well, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense for them to do that too, though, because Drew Locke's got what two? Is it one year or two years left on his rookie deal? I think it's two years. It'd be it'd be one year left. So yeah, because he should because he because he was a second round pick. You didn't get so the fifth you year. You got one year left of Drew Locke. You bring you put a veteran on that team. I think they just resigned Geno Smith actually. Um, you run three quarterbacks, you see what you have in lock to see if you can even get, you know, any form of trade value out of him. If he's going to be serviceable, whatever, you don't have to start Willis right away. It allows him to develop because, you know, do I think Drew Locke deserves another chance? Yes. Do I think you should invest or rebuild around Drew Locke? No. And Malik Willis is a perfect person to land in that situation because I don't think he's ready here. one. So you get him in, you develop him. The Seahawks aren't going to compete this year anyway. You've got your quarterback of the future there. So I do not hate that. It's not a bubble burster for me based on, you know, if I'm the GM of the Seahawks, that's actually a great move. And if I'm a Seahawks fan, I'm very happy about that move. There's, I have one concern. I've been thinking about this, and I've been really thinking about life from what we saw from the Cardinals in 2018 to 2019 when they sucked Josh Rhodes in a pick 10. One year later, they clean out house – they get you know they get pick one hundred and one and they select Kyler Murray because of the the view of this draft class and the view of these prospects and with the um, incoming class um, next year and how strong that's supposed to be. Seattle is a concern for me from from also cleaning the house, right? Malik Willis isn't a prospect here in the same tier with the guys from last year as we just discussed, you know, not too long ago. So, well, I, I'm not going to bake this into my rankings. It, it's something that that's been in my mind of what if Seattle cleans house? What if Carolina? What if Atlanta? What if those teams clean house and the and the quarterback that they invest in is then gone because the team that because one of those teams ends up with a top two or three pick? Now, again, that's a lot of speculation, obviously, but there's things like that because it's because none of these guys are 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 these great prospects none of them are going to be like a bear situation where justin fields can draw in a process a a coach there i don't know if malik willis can draw people in outside of the josh allen parallels that a lot of teams are falling in love with yeah i think that that's that's plenty fair and you know so i want to talk about his floor real quick because i did have a a note on on the floor side as well as the ceiling side. So, you know, the ceiling side, I think that you definitely could have a, a slightly less, a lesser version of a Russell Wilson, a better passing version of like a Jalen Hurts here. And I think that that's a fair assessment of where Willis's ceiling could land. And I think that the floor for him at worst is going to be a journeyman type of quarterback, like a guy like Terod Taylor, who's, you know, had success in spurts. He's, been in demand every offseason and just never stuck anywhere as a franchise quarterback and that's what i see willis's floor is which is still i mean 
pretty safe as a piece, especially in super flex. Tavares Jackson. Remember Tavares Jackson? Oh, I do. The Vikings fan. I, I, was, I, mean, wait, I, I was waiting for Dan never to forget. have PTSD I don't, trimmers. I, yeah, I don't have any. I don't have any words. That's why I immediately jumped to Jacoby Brissett. I don't yeah. want to talk about Javars. Yeah. Malik Malik Willis is like Tavares Jackson. He's going to have some really great plays and make plays with his legs. But I mean, he's a project man, and it's going to be tough. You know, I think you know I wouldn't even be surprised if teams hold off on drafting a quarterback because they might try to send a third round pick for Baker. You know, this class is just so. Mediocre. I, I mean, I think, and we can get into the other classes. I got Garoppolo too. I think Malik. Yeah. Malik is one of the few that has a, an elite ceiling. Very yeah. few in this class have an elite ceiling, and I think he does. He does because I think NFL organizations say, "Well, you know, Auburn kicked him to the curb because they had Bo Nix, and you know that's that his dad played there, and <laughs> then he goes to Liberty, and did they even have the coaching staff to really coach him up? So I think a lot of franchises are like, mm-hmm. well, if we bring this kid in and we put him with our quarterback coach and our offensive coordinator. We can kind of develop him, but you know, it, I think it's gonna it's gonna take some time, and he's either gonna, you know, become a really good quarterback, or he's gonna end up being like Tavares Jackson, in my opinion. Yeah, and here's like a red to see. Hope oh, good. I was gonna say, here's my red flag on Willis too. Right, I have him ranked two, but my model when I plug in the way I rate people on film, and I have him ranked two just because of how I feel about them. There's, I can't quantify how I feel about prospects and numbers, right? They're just the hunch that I get off of them from watching them. But the model that takes into account combine metrics, college productivity, and then the way that I rate these guys on film, which is just how do I evaluate certain raw individual talents? I mean, the film metric is what's really propping him up and the product productivity really kind of brings him down over some of these other guys, especially some of these older guys from, from counting stats, essentially. Um, so based, if I were to just go by that number alone, he would be the second worst in this class. But that's why I don't believe in just quantifying people with numbers that me as not a statistician makes up. So he's second because I really liked what he, I saw on tape and the potential is definitely there. So is he your is he your quarterback two in this class or is he quarterback one for you? He's my quarterback two. Um, film wise, he rated a little higher um, than on others. He's my quarterback two though. We're gonna get to my quarterback one here in a second. All right. And you will just you will. How's he how's he ranked for you, Dan? He's my one. Yeah, he he be. Like I said, I and this is all pre with this class. Too. Yeah. Although quarterbacks I, I, will not jumble up as much post draft as running back and wide receiver will for us. Yeah, I, I don't really do write down rankings. I have, I, you know, I have my tears out in my head. I, I, I because he's, of fantasy wise and stuff, it's so difficult to scout quarterbacks. Yeah, he's tier. Um, and totally difficult to predict. Is he? He is. He's easily my QB one because no other quarterback in this class has his rushing floor. And he's tier two for me from. A perspective with uh, Desmond Ritter and Sam Howell going by tears. So, but that's really kind of a misnomer as well. He's kind of like a tweener that I just didn't want to put in his own tier. So I just shoved him <laughs> in tier two. Because he cool. he's my quarterback one right now. But again, I think that when you look at last year's class and you look at the 2023 class, fantasy wise, I'm trying to get a quarterback from last year or 
next year. This year, I'm just I'm passing yeah. on quarterbacks. But if I had to take one, he'd be my number one in this year's class. All right. So moving on to my number one in this year's class, he's number two quarterback off the board uh, per uh, the Faceoff Sports Network's rookie ADP. Uh, that is ninth overall player. Um, he is the number one quarterback off the board in CBS's seven-round mock draft for Panthers at pick six, uh, and that is that is Kenny Pickett. And I really hope this is who you meant before the draft when you were talking about the next year lock because it would be very on brand for me to have been as my quarterback one and to draw that comparison. Um, so I'll go ahead and start, and then you guys can just can just rip it down. So. When I was watching Kenny Pickett, the first thing that came to mind is three years ago, I probably would have been very down on Kenny Pickett, but I saw a lot of traits that I also saw in Justin Herbert. And remember, for those that have been around a while, Justin Herbert was my quarterback, what, four coming out of that class, I think? Yeah. Because there are some things that that we didn't like there, but when I watched Kenny Pickett, just from a film perspective, he had a lot of qualities that I saw and a guy like Justin Herbert, which makes me think, well, you know, maybe the floor isn't as low as we think it is. I think he's the, you know, he is a, an older prospect. I think he's the most NFL-ready prospect, the most likely to start and have success in year one. Um, does that mean he has the highest upside overall? No. I rank with floor taken into account a little bit more than I do upside, and that's always kind of just been a thing for me. Uh, for better or for worse. Malik Willis has the most upside in this class. Kenny Pickett, I think, has the highest floor in this class. Um, he scored highest for me out of his uh, Gate 1 rankings, which Gate 1 for me is your productivity uh, for single season, for your career, as well as your um, your measurements. Obviously, hand size is the thing that he missed. Um, you know... And then he was also my highest rated guy on film. So what did I like about Kenny Pickett? Thought he was athletic enough for today's NFL. He moved the pocket. He could pick up yards on occasional designed runs. Uh, he scrambled well. He's not going to be a, he's not Malik Willis with his legs. He's not, but he can't, he is closer to guys like Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, who's going to give you some potential rush touchdown upside. who can scramble a bit even though it's not a big part of their game. He's got plus zip on his short and intermediate balls, deep balls. There wasn't really anything that concerned me there. Takes care of the football, I thought. Um, was really good positioning it for his receivers to make a play. Um, I saw um, a lot of back shoulder throws, a lot of pretty advanced throws and throw placement from him. Um, there allowed his receiver to basically throwing the receiver open, allowed his receiver to make a play over a defensive back. Um, the internal clock was evident. He handled pressure. Well, he stepped up in the pocket, could move the pocket. Um, and he settles down nicely after a bad drive too. That's the other thing I noticed watching rhythm is that if he had a bad drive, which did happen, you know, it didn't go into this downward spiral of a trend. He didn't have a lot of bad games, and that's because he can kind of put that behind him. So there's some advanced things that I saw from Kenny Pickett that made me believe he's the most NFL ready. Now, things I didn't like. The first and foremost, he wears two gloves. That's not a proven NFL success strategy. You throw two gloves, you're going to be a journeyman. Looking at you, Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy oh, you leave Teddy alone. Teddy two gloves. Oh. So, I'm just kidding. You can talk about Teddy. He's a bit of a rhythm passer. He did force things on occasion. 
does get some happy feet, especially under pressure. That's a thing that you know we don't like. We saw that with Josh Rosen, which is a reason that we didn't like him. Um, so he can make the wrong decision. He just does it a lot less consistently than what Rosen did. Um, when rolling left, he's going to throw. When rolling right, he's going to run. Don't know why that was a thing. The announcers called that out multiple games, though. Little predictable. It is very though. weird when you throw on his film. It, that's yeah. very like he it, I, always. I did watch some of his film. It's uh, every time. I don't know if that was scheme. He's or a what. creature of habit. He's yeah. a creature of habit. Yeah, and that it, and that plays into his call. Your call about his rhythm. I think he's a creature of habit. Yeah, he does occasionally wait too long for routes to develop instead of taking the open man. That's something you can coach out of it, though. Overall. A lot of advanced stuff from Kenny Pickett that I liked. I think that he, this is all shit I've already said, but to wrap it up, there's a lot of things I liked. I saw, um, you know, some of Mac Jones' passing tendencies. Mac Jones is another one I thought got real happy feet last year under pressure. He had some of Mac Jones' passing tendencies with a little bit of Joe Burrow's athleticism. There was also some Herbert comparisons that I saw. I just think it's a safe floor and a likely quarterback one, you know, is likely to get a chance to start out of the gate and try to fail, right? Or try to not fail, basically. So a la Drew Locke. Brad, I have to know, is this your Drew Locke? Yeah, if you want to talk about the 2022 <laughs> version of Drew Locke. Yes! yes! Oh, I'm so this... happy I got you out here. No, this is this perfect. Is... Go this ahead, is, buddy. You fucking wax. Is this not so I mean, on brand this, for me? This, this, is, guy, this, this is guy played five years in college, right? Yeah, he, he he was hitting like twelve touchdown passes every season, and then last year he hit forty two. It's like where the hell did this come from, right? Like to me, it's like I feel like it's a product of the offense. You know, you mentioned that he he, he tends to scramble a lot. I don't when I watch his film. I don't think he he has good pocket awareness, and he likes to run, but he's not going to be able to run at the next level. He's not fast enough, so he's going to have to figure out how to stay in the pocket and manipulate the defense and throw the ball. But to me, this is a Drew Locke, Blaine Gabbert type pick. And, you know, next time I'm on episode, you're, we're going to be hyping him. And, hey, this is going to be a thing. Hey, let's not forget. I let's have, not forget last year, the amount of love Sam Darnold got. And I yes. was, and I had to sit over here and eat crow. Yeah, as I, I keep I telling you guys, that, why the fuck are you talking? I Sam Darnold. Yeah, yeah, and and, he, and now he's he, he might replace. He is better than Sam Darnold. I I have mixed feelings about Pickett because I get so bored with him because I I think he's above average in everything. He's not bad anything. He's not great anything. I think he is. I think his ceiling is Andy Dalton. I think people would be happy if he becomes Andy Dalton because I think if he lands in an offense with a good set of playmakers and a strong in in a strong scheme to play around with and play in, I think you can find success. I agree with Brad. He turned on his film. It, it, I think he has a tendency to want to leave the pocket too soon, right? I don't know if if it's because once pressure gets to him early in a game, it sticks with him for the rest of the game. It's not something that I can pick up, and I'm not going to say. But I did pick up him wanting to like wanting to leave pockets a little too soon. Not not step up in pockets. Not make that type of throw. Um, I do have my concerns about him as a fifth-year player, as a fourth-year senior. How much more can he actually develop as a player when he's had over 50 career starts? Is he Colt McCoy then? Well, he didn't win a bunch of games, but at least he, he, he's got so much built-up knowledge. I agree with Hopper. I think he is the most pro-ready 
And if I'm banking on a quarterback to step up in week one to be starting, it'd be him um, with, with all that experience. I don't think, I think this class does get a little bit too shit on. There's a lot of depth to it. There's just no ceiling outside of maybe Willis. I think Pickett could step in and, and, and he could see himself as the Andy Dalton guy or, or turn into a, a, a journeyman plus that is going to be a, a guy we always talk about every year as a value in super flex leagues. He's not a, he's not like, he's not a QB one ceiling. He right. just doesn't provide you the rushing floor. I got, I, I had to pull this up, but now I'm ready. No, to you're good. It. Brad, I challenge you on something. He's not fast enough to run in the NFL. Is Josh Allen fast enough to run in the NFL? Well, he's Uh-oh. proven that he's a good scrambler. I'll say that. Josh Allen's 40 time was 4.75, a burst of 118.1. Is Dak Prescott fast enough to run in the NFL and scramble and pick up yardage? Yep, you'd say he was. 40 time of 4.79, burst score of 114.9. Carson Wentz. Throw the passing out. Can Carson Wentz run? Has he had productive... Se- has he had yes, not yes, he can. elite productive seasons in the NFL, but productive? 4-7-7, time, one twelve burst. Ryan Tannehill, most prolific scrambler in the league right now, other than Josh Allen, right? It's what he, well, it's what he does with his legs. It's been his calling. It's been a thing for a bit. 4-7-0-40, no burst time recorded. So that group of people I just mentioned, Ryan Tannehill, Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, all profile very, very closely to Kenny Pickett's combine numbers as far as 40, and then composite burst score per player profiler. He's right in line with those guys as far as as far as his, uh, you know, the things that would predict scramble ability, his burst and his 40, which is more of long speed. He's right with those guys, which tells me that, you know, he can. He's athletic enough to do it, will he? We'll see. He's not going to be a 500-yard a season guy. Two to 300, maybe a couple touchdowns, I think is probably the ceiling of his rushing ability as a scrambler. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes is in there too, 480, uh, 40-time. So, I mean, he's actually probably a tier above Patrick Mahomes as far as athleticism goes, 109.5 burst. See Mahomes in the 150 to 200 yards a year, a couple rushing touchdowns. Whatever. Basically just throwing all that out there because those are your comparables athletically to Kenny Pickett. It's Josh Allen, Ryan Tannehill, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott are the four closest to him from an athletic perspective based on the combine numbers alone. Now, game film, I think that he is not Josh Allen. Obviously, he's smaller. I think Ryan Tannehill, Carson Wentz could be pretty close. Um, Dak Prescott, I think, might have just had a bad combine. So I understand where you're coming from, but I just think that that's important for context. And we, and what we know is, is that QB athleticism is actually what we generally look at when, when we're trying to predict rushing ability to the next level. We've seen pretty non-athletic QBs find rushing. Or, uh, a quarterbacks who generate rushing volume in college that aren't athletic probably won't have that that success at the next level, right? The linebackers and the defensive ends, edge rushers, are, are just too fucking fast. Also tells me a lot about their ability to avoid pressure, honestly, is yeah. especially with the burst score. They're just their ability to avoid pressure. I think there might be a chance for Pickett to see a little bit of a bump in, in passing volume because of what Brett and I talked about, and that's 
his his wanting to potentially leave the pocket too soon. If the game feels a little too fast from early on, and what we've generally seen is obviously younger quarterbacks have a higher tendency to run more. Why? Because they're still they're learning to get up to speed with the pace of the game from college to the pros. So maybe Pickett gets in there. If he lands at Carolina, let's just say this, like he's starting week one. I I don't know how happy I'd be because of what I brought up. I think Carolina is going to clean house after this year. But if they make him talk six, he's not so, going to leave next year. If he lands in regardless Carolina, of the new team. Hey, is he an upgrade? Dan, Dan. Yeah, what's up? What's up? So I'll tell you why he won't land in Carolina. All right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because and, Sam and, and you called me out for you called me out for hyping Sam Darnold last year, right? It's because Sam Darnold's there. Well, listen, Sam Darnold was drafted. <laughs> in two, listen, listen, I, Sam I know, I know. Was I'm fucked with in 2018, right? 2018. That was like five years ago, right? He's in Carolina. He and Kenny Pickett have the same birthday. June, I, like, I think actually Sam Darnold's June 6th. Kenny Pickett's June 5th. Sam Darnold is one year older than Kenny Pickett. Exactly one year older, and he's already been in the NFL for five seasons. So why would you draft the exact same quarterback? That, just, just let Sam Darnold develop. There's only one year difference. Because, because no one knows who Pickett is right now, damn it. He could be anything. He could be. He could He's be the Sam mystery Darnold. boxer family guy. He could be a boat. Who knows? Hey, uh, Hop, can you pull up? Can you pull up Sam Darnold's forty and and his burst? Because I think he had a pretty decent forty as well. Yeah, I think absolutely. he did test pretty well. I, I like that he's Emmett the Lego guy. I'm I know. <laughs> it's my favorite thing in the world. It's pretty funny. Uh, way, no, he's pretty bad. Way worse, actually. Ninety-eight burst and four eight five forty. So he's oh, okay. he's way down there. Seventh percentile burst score. He's and actually, Darnold, Darnold led the league in quarterback scoring from a rushing standpoint yeah. through the first like five weeks because of those. Yeah, touchdowns. he was on fire last year. We're, we're yeah. looking good for a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, we uh, were yeah. looking good for a few weeks. <laughs> I was with you on the Darnold train. Man, that, that, cheers to that, Sam Darnold. I mean, here's to Sam Darnold. I was thinking the same. Thing. Yeah, no, no, I'm fuck yeah. Nope. Here's the Kenny Pickett replacing Sam Darnold. One year younger. All right. One year younger. I think that's enough. I mean, candy. when the contract's up, he's going to be the same age as Sam Darnold. <laughs> I think that's enough. Kenny Pickett. Okay. I'm waiting on. Well, so where's Kenny Pickett on your rankings, Dan? As if he's number two for you. He'd be he'd be number three. He'd be number three for me. So Willis then, is one. And then Hopper's number one him, for him. I think I'm going to put him at probably four for me. Yeah. And it's it's pre-draft. He he's number one, and I mean score-wise, he was in a two in his own of his own based on composite and everything like that. Like I said, just keep in mind, Willis could have gone up a tier or down a tier. He was kind of in this weird tweener position from how I felt about it. So, you know, I would, I've would i got no problem with putting Malik Willis up in the same tier. I've got a problem with drafting, dropping Kenny Pickett a tier lower because when we get down to these next couple guys, I'm not the biggest fan. Uh, per Faceoff Sports Network, though, going two spots later, it, the 11th overall pick is Matt Corral. Uh, Matt Corral, per the CBS mock draft, uh, goes to the Saints, number 49 overall, so mid-second round. Um, I'll let you guys go ahead on Corral, and then I'm going to go ahead and just shit all over him because I am not a fan. Yeah, he's, I, he, he to me is, is – uh, 
he'd be my Drew Lock. He's he's kind of like uh, he's like Chad Kelly, except he's gonna so get Chad draft Kelly capital. Good, but they have this got beat with a vacuum hose. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's got he's got you know. There's been a lot of questions and concern about his uh, his leadership and worth ethic and and uh, and all that. So. And that's and that's just per what you know what the speculation is based on how he you know on how he interviewed with teams during his combine and pro day. Um, there, there. I mean, you turn on Corral's film; it, it's a lot of head scratching. He does make some big timey whimey throws, but if the NFL is telling me that he's going to be a second round pick more than likely, even though he's being asked to come to uh, a Detroit and be. An in-person, you know, watching room. Geno Smith was asked to go, and he went. He 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 did not make it through, or he did he did not get drafted wrong one. So it's not a a dead-on conclusion that'll happen. But I've said it before multiple times: if a quarterback's not getting first-round draft capital and he doesn't have a high rushing floor, I don't fucking care about him. I don't care who he may be. I I just I he unless he falls into the third round of of those super flex rookie drafts, I, I, I just, there's no value to them in my mind. This, the bus rate of those guys are so high at this point. And then just a lack of, of true confidence in, in them as a building black teams draft guys that high because they're trying to flip them for value. Now, when I look at, when I look at Matt Corral, like he's another old quarterback he's coming in an nfl at 23 years old same as pickett right some of these other quarterbacks are coming in at 21 so he's already an old quarterback now i can see him going to carolina i can see him going to seattle because i think he offers something that kenny pickett doesn't and that's just pure athleticism the arm strength um you know you mentioned kenny pickett had above average athleticism when i watch matt Crowell on tape like he pops like you, you when you watch him it reminds you of Right. The NFL is a copycat league, right? You have Patrick Mahomes. Everyone's trying to get the next Patrick Mahomes. You look at Zach Wilson. He does the RPO. He can throw off balance, off platform. He's got a gun for an arm. Matt Corral is the same type of quarterback. He can get an RPO. He can throw off balance, off platform, has a gun. Does he have a lot of red flags? He does have a lot of red flags, but this entire class has a lot of red flags. If the NFL is trying to find the next Patrick Mahomes, I think when you look at this class, Matt Corral is that quarterback, and I could see a coach like Matt Roll trying to save his job by drafting a quarterback like Matt Corral and saying, hey, you need to give me a couple more years to develop him. Or, you know, Pete Carroll saying Russell Wilson's gone. Matt Corral can do the play-action pass as good as anybody, and you know Seattle's going to like to run the football. So I think he would be a good fit in Seattle as well. So he's my quarterback too, um, just because I can see that – the NFL likes that upside that he could be possibly a Patrick Mahomes type player in the right offense. He's my quarterback seven. Um, when I say I hate Matt Corral, oh, he's, I, he's even lower than me on him. I hate Matt Corral. Um, look, I don't disagree with the reasons that, that you like him, Brad, at all. The first, the the two cons I or the two pros that I have written down for him goes only three in my whole list of notes here. <laughs> Is that he's a hell of a runner. He's not shifty, but he runs bigger than what he is. He shows vision and explosiveness that a running back like. He didn't run at the combine, so you don't really have comparison Turf, numbers yeah. there or anything. He's hurt. And yeah, he's got a huge arm. 
He absolutely has a huge arm. You know who else had a huge arm? Tanner fucking Lee. He had no idea where the ball was going. Um, <laughs> I, I, he's not Tanner, a little he's bit not better Tanner than Lee. Tanner Lee. He's not okay. Tanner Lee. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't making a comparison. I was just saying that I know, I know. arm talent, not always the best thing. Oh, fucking Tanner Lee. Why did you bring um, up Tanner Lee? Ugh. Because he's got to make a yearly appearance in this yeah, show. Yeah. Apparently. Um, do you remember Tanner Lee, Brad? Probably not. He was a Nebraska quarterback that he was was, like terrible. sprayed and prayed. He had a huge arm. He had no clue where the ball was going in though. Um <laughs> no. He's like Matt Saracen from uh Friday Night Lights. Yeah, he threw it his eyes closed. <laughs> um But the things I didn't like about Matt Corral were the things that you need to be a successful NFL quarterback, it's not, you know, and that's not to say you can't develop them, but at 23 years old, the likelihood of developing them is a lot less than what a younger guy like Malik, what Malik Willis has. You can't wait on a guy like Matt Corral to develop. And that's why I like Kenny Pickett considerably more is because he did develop those NFL traits while still in college that could make him successful as an NFL level at the age of 23, Matt Corral does not have the nuances that could make him successful at the age of 23. And do you wait two or three years on a guy that's already 23 years old to develop at an NFL level? Unless you're the Packers, no, you don't draft a guy to sit for three years with high draft capital. Um, so unfortunately, a lot like Deshaun Kaiser, who was, had a lot of talent, was put into a bad situation. I think Matt Corral is going to come into the league not get the chance to develop like what Mahomes did, and the bottom's just absolutely going to fall out of this. The awareness is underdeveloped. He's quick to run. He doesn't allow plays to develop. I'm pretty sure he forgets that he has an intermediate passing game available to him most of the time. Uh, it's either check downs or force the big play, even though you got guys open 10 yards downfield. It's one or the other. It's my deep route isn't there. I'm going to check it down. Jake DeLome, anyone? Um he stares down receivers, which means he's not going through his reads. Um, you can watch his eyes. Stare down, not there. Okay, check it down. Um, accuracy is very hit or miss. Um, you know, And that's not to say that he's wild, because he's not. He's not tenderly wild, but it's not Pickett who is putting the ball in places for his receivers to get open. Back shoulder throws are going inside for Matt Corral. Um, throws are sailing on him. It, it's that type of thing. That, that I don't necessarily like, and playing to contact no bigger than he is is also a concern to me. So, you know, there's just... Had he come out with the raw talent at 21, I probably feel a lot different than I do about him coming out with the raw talent at, at 23. I can't disagree that the raw talent is absolutely there, but it's just not developed enough as a five-year starter for me to think he's going to find any sort of NFL success. I mean, I mean, when you look at the quarterback position, it's it's not as as age dependent as your running backs, right? I mean, you you look at Aaron Rodgers, who's who's in his mid thirties, with one of the highest contracts in the NFL, right? Tom Brady's playing at forty four, so mm-hmm. I don't know if you know when when you compare a quarterback to Sam Darnold, right? Who's been in the league for five years, but I think if you look in general at, at a quarterback, you might want an experienced quarterback. Or, or an older quarterback, because if you look at the last few seasons, these NFL teams are trying to win early on these rookie contracts. Joe Burrow mm-hmm. made the Super Bowl in year two of his contract. Patrick Mahomes made the Super Bowl in year two of his contract. I think Jared Goff made it deep in the playoffs year two of his contract. I can't recall year two or three. 
But I think these these franchises are going to try to win on these rookie quarterbacks, maybe not year one, but at least year two. So if you, if you take Matt Corral in the first round, you're going to bet that at least by year two, he's going to give you a chance to make a run at the Super Bowl. And so, that's what I'm not willing to bet on because I don't think the nuances are developed enough to do that. I think that Matt Corral is a guy that you aren't – that you can't bet on to win on year two. You almost have to Aaron Rodgers it where he's behind a guy and then can bring it in to win. And my the thing that scares me is that whoever drafts him is going to bet on him to win in year one or year two. He's not going to be able to do it, and he's going to end up Josh Rosen and Drew Locke right on out to the backup position someplace. That's what scares <laughs> me with Matt Corral. Hey, don't, don't get me wrong. This entire class is probably Drew Locke. Well, right? yes. So none yes. of these guys are going to be elite, <laughs> in my opinion. But if you're talking about exactly pick Pickett. one or two, to me, he's probably number two in this class. It, it, it's uh, he makes like I'll say this: they're they're you throw on the film, he makes some highlight plays. It's like it's like watching, it's like watching Josh Allen set he's half his size and runs just as hard, and it's often hurt. And except Josh Allen was good. Well, Josh Allen was a terrible prospect that ended up uh, being the says, greatest unicorn of all you, time. He was my quarterback one that year. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. He was not your QB one. Yes, he was. Josh Allen was not your QB one that year. Yep. You want me it was Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. No, I didn't. you were the highest on him. Okay. You were the highest That's on right. him. I was the highest on him. You were the highest on him. I was low on him. Like everybody else Hold was. On. And I, I give I will always give props to how Josh Allen busted his ass and got to where he is. He absolutely he was tier one deserves that. He was tier one for you. Yeah. I mean, I made the miss. I put fucking Mason Rudolph over over Josh Allen. I'm not ashamed to admit it. And I was wrong. Everyone was fucking. I had Josh wrong Rosen Josh over Allen. him. Actually, he was tier one, but I had Rosen over him. But that was because <laughs> of what the internet was saying. This is 2018. It's before I learned to not listen to what the internet says. Because most of the time they talked me out of shit that ended up being right. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody was any was anywhere close to what Allen's development was. I'm not saying that Matt Corral is going to be that, but I just knew I was higher than the rest. It's, of the it's show. very frustrating to watch Corral because I think you'll have games where it's everything clicks. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Baker to me. He's kind of like Baker or, or Sam Darnold or any of these other guys that that obviously have the tools to get there, but can they? But can they get unlocked? I will Are say they going to land into. A, a coaching staff that will help him unlock that. And it's, it's that's so hard to predict right now. Brad, I'll give you this one on Matt Corral. He is the guy that if he lands in the right spot, uh, a coach that I think will use his strengths and mitigate his weaknesses in an offense that wants to work deep and use his big arm in a team that has playmakers already established. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Is exactly what comes to mind. Um, let me let, let me ask he, you. As he, a, as a deep, well, as let a me deep. hold on. Let me finish my thought. He will move up my rankings. I will give you that. If he lands in the right position to succeed early on, I will move him up after the draft. He's the one guy that could jump tears for me after the draft. Gotta get first round DC. Yeah. I don't care. Anyway, if it was round two. He's off. Go he's ahead. I wanted to complete the thought. Sorry, I thought, I thought you did complete. No, I, I did not. Stealer. It's okay. <laughs> now, as hey, as a as a DJ Moore stand, I love DJ Moore. Can you imagine Matt Corral that office with DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, like 
slinging the rock around like Robbie yeah. Anderson going deep. Like, I think that's a perfect fit for him. I don't I mean, because Matt rules a piece of shit. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's a, that's a side conversation, but as far as a, a scheme <laughs> fit in that offense, I think Matt Corral, the play action with McCaffrey, DJ Moore's versatility, his arm. Like, I just think that's like a perfect fit. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, they if, gotta they go, use if, they, if they go with him at six, yeah, that's the other reason too, is then there's DC there. And that's right. why we tend to put very little stock into how we rank these guys pre-draft is because if he goes six to the Panthers, you've got the DC and he landed in a spot. Yeah. He'll jump up for me. It's going to jump up into tier two for me at that point. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, right. I mean, Matt, Matt Rule's got to figure something out. He passed on Justin Fields. I think he's going to be like, hey, I need to take a quarterback. Maybe I'll extend my career here in Carolina for a few more years to develop Matt Corral. They have no you know, day two picks, too. They have a first-round pick, and then they have no day two, yep. which is a big thing to keep in mind because this is one of the most important picks. Yeah, And this is why I'm most concerned about Carolina cleaning house. I don't think Matt Rule survives this year. Yeah, like I, even exactly, in the week division think, in the week conference, I don't think he survives yeah, this year. I agree. I think I think some of these general managers and coaches are going to try to latch <laughs> onto these quarterbacks and try to explain to the owner, "You need to give me two more years to develop this quarterback, and then see what I can do." Yep. Okay, moving on. Uh, Sam Howell is the next quarterback off the board. Uh, two, uh, it fifteen, so two spots behind uh, Matt Corral. That's per Faceoff Sports Networks Super Flex. Um, Delio there and CBS seven round mock draft has Sam Howell at number 43 overall to the Falcons. How bad did, I love how they both have him a second round. I love how they both have him and cross second round because <clears throat> he's my four. I, I'm not like. He like he looked pretty good coming out as a freshman, right? You know, yeah. when I'm watching film and I'm scouting these guys, you know, in college. I mean, he had one of the best freshman QBRs we've seen in a long time and, and things seem to click. And obviously the talent that he had his first two seasons as a starter were obviously shown in that. And obviously this year, when you lose that amount of talent to the NFL and there's something to really back that up mm-hmm. and a poor offensive line, you get what Sam Howell did. Uh, we don't have his athletic numbers. Unfortunately, I, I mean, his, we have his high school numbers, and they're pretty underwhelming. I don't know how much more that's improved. I don't think Howe's going to be the athletic enough at the next level to be to have that rushing floor to kind of save him in some of these days. I know he gets a lot of comps to a guy like Baker because of the inconsistencies. Because Howe on, on film, when you, you know, turn it on, it, it's it can be night and day sometimes for him. He's someone that I'm really watching to see if he lands into a clean spot because I think Howe has has a bit of the upside that can be unlocked he just needs to get up there and be coached up but again if you're looking at day two dc for him i'm out and it's just how it goes he's the most likely to end up as a long-term nfl backup if we're giving out superlatives <laughs> for me um because that's what the skill sets points points to he's accurate enough in the intermediate game um he can scramble a bit when the opportunity is there. The internal clock is good enough. He gets through his reads fine. But, you know, he doesn't have the raw talent of, of even a Matt Corral. He doesn't extend plays. He's not twitchy, athletic, or explosive. No top speed. 
Um, I agree with you. He may not be accurate enough to maintain that rushing productivity there. And I thought he struggled with the deep ball a lot. The one thing that got him cool points for me is that he punted in a game that I watched. So, you know, <laughs> me liking he, he do love your punters. I love punters. Um, you do. He is my quarterback four, and that's just because I think the floor is that he could end up a journeyman, right? And again, if I'm going to invest some draft capital in anybody from this class, I either want the huge upside of a guy like Malik Willis or the high floor of a guy like Kenny Pickett, or I guess, you know, the we'll get to Ritter in a minute. I think he's got much higher upside than Sam Howell, um, who's the other guy I have ahead of him, you know. I do think that there's some seasons where Sam Howell as a QB2 and Superflex might have value. He could end up at a journeyman role. We've seen Taylor Heineke have some value. Um, you know, in some guys like this, but I don't know that he's ever a long-term starter or a franchise quarterback or it sniffs anywhere near elite, and that's pretty much how I feel about Sam Howell. I think that the floor is probably going to be there with very limited upside, and, you know, just I'm not... Sam Howell's not a guy I get excited about. You can also see him out of the league in three years. With I, his, well, I can see. A, I he's see. a bit erratic, too. I, I mean, from the dip in efficiency, I get it. The talent that was lost was huge from year two to year three for him. Um, but he's going to face even worse competition. He's going to face even tougher competition. He's, yes, he should have better playmakers, but, I mean, every team should be an upgrade in that okay. standpoint, and I just don't think Howell has the capabilities ever reach highly enough and I think he'll be eventually bounced after his first contract. You tell me any of these guys other than Pickett and Willis are out of the league in three or four years and I wouldn't argue with you. So yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that, you know, this group of quarterbacks, how right now I think he's wide receiver or quarterback five for me. Um but if you put all these quarterbacks in a group and said one of these is gonna, you know, become the best quarterback of the class, I wouldn't be surprised if it was how when I watch him, he reminds me of a poor man's Baker Mayfield. He reminds me of a Derek Carr. He's got that toughness, um, you know, to, to carry his team on his back. I mean, he lost, like like you said, Dan, he lost his receivers. He lost his running backs. So what did he do? He turned into a running back himself to try to win games for North Carolina. I mean, he's the type of quarterback that's going to play through injury, do what it takes to win games. And I don't have him high in this class, but I wouldn't be surprised if when it's all said and done in three years, we look back and say how turned out to be the best of this group, because I don't think this group's very exciting at all to begin with. Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't be shocking. And that's and that's what the NFL's telling us. That's what Box are telling us. That's what a, a lot of people you know whose opinion I, I trust will tell me. It, it's all the same. It, it, it's. A lot of guys that like Howell are are the Devi guys that have been following his career since you know since he stepped on as a redshirt freshman, and um, you know, and he was able to have a successful first year. You know, it, it, it was him and Keaton Slovis were the two freshmen that that people were talking about back in 2019, and now here we are, and Howell was barely a first round pick and a poor man's Baker who's going to win over his locker room, but that 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 talent level that the elevation of play will never come to fruition hopper's right he's he's a journeyman quarterback he, you know he works on his his smarts and he can become a very valuable backup yeah. for years to come like he could be a, a fitzpatrick at some point you know what Derek carr is his best case scenario i think you nailed the the ceiling on him though brad Derek carr i think would be the best case scenario for sam Howell. yeah 
I won't disagree with that. Hey, he could go to Carolina, stay home. <laughs> Everybody, somebody's going to Carolina. Somebody yeah. will be. Somebody will be. Uh, and it probably not. He's projected at the end of the first, at least for a CBS mock draft. 17th quarterback off the board. I think that is, or sorry, 17th pick. Fourth quarterback off the board, which I think is way too low. Um, Desmond Ritter. So he's mocked to the Lions at 32 um, by by CBS. And uh, Brad, I want you to kick this one off because Dan and I, I know, feel damn near the same about about Desmond yeah. Ritter. So I'm curious where you're at. So I, I'm not a big fan of Desmond Ritter. Um, to me, Desmond Ritter's just a guy, right? Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. I think he lost two games in his college career, one against Georgia in the Peach Bowl and then one against Alabama. When he played good competition, he 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 didn't show up, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know if the game plan was ideal against Alabama this past year, but he's got athletic ability. Um, he's got a lot of work to do, in my opinion. And, and I think he I think he is a Christian Ponder type player, maybe a little God. more athletic than Christian Ponder. Oof. I don't. I don't see that. I don't see a high ceiling for Desmond Ritter. I think he's just a guy, um, and, and I have no interest in adding him to my fantasy team. So, hopefully, you guys are the same, but you probably aren't because it's very quiet. No, we are. We are not the same. And, and I will say this: um, with Georgia and Alabama, if you struggle against Georgia and Alabama, and you're playing for Cincinnati, just given the talent level differences across the board, that's a forgivable offense to me. Um, you know, and look, I'd forgive um, Malik Willis the same way if he had to go up against Georgia, Alabama. I mean, Cincinnati. The fact that Cincinnati was in a position to play Georgia or Alabama at that level, I think, is a testament to Desmond Ritter. Um, you know, watching him though, I there are some holes like there are with everybody in this class, but. I like the upside, and I really like the athleticism. I thought the headspace was there. He often makes the right read. The internal clock was good. Good sense for pressure. Long stride runner. There was some Josh Allen to his athleticism. He could chunk yards off. A little slow to get up and go, a lot like Allen is. Um, but he could really chunk off yards once he got gets up and goes. Um, he has the ability to make throws at all levels. Um, and he squared up nicely, even went on the run um, and changed his arm angles pretty nicely as well, which is very important for a quarterback, especially in today's NFL with, with moving pockets, to be able to on the fly square up, change your arm angles. Kind of a lot of, a little bit of Matthew Stafford to the way that he was able to do that with the arm angles and, and squaring up and really throwing from any position. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is the other guy that comes to mind with the ability to do that even though I don't think Ritter quite has the arm strength to be there of those guys. I'm not comparing him to those players. I am comparing that particular ability to those players. Accuracy was hit or miss. He was very rhythm. Um, He has the strength to make throws at all level, but, um, you know, not a lot of zip there. And I'm not sure if that's something that can be fixed just through coaching and maybe changing the mechanics a little bit. He has a lot of length to him. So I feel like he should be able to get a little bit more zip on his throws than what he does. So, you know, arm strength, while not, it's not lacking in the sense of, is he going to underthrow somebody on a deep ball? No, I don't think so. But is he going to be able to fit a ball into tight, tight windows at the intermediate level because he can, you know, really turn up the fastball? I don't necessarily see that there either. Um, 
and just doesn't really have a lot of quick t- twitch to him. He has some polishing he needs, um, but a lot of it seems to be coachable for me. Um, he has the mental aspect of the game, which I think is the harder part to get. Um, the upside could be capped. I think the floor is there, though, especially at the rushing ability. He's my quarterback three. So he's my two, and it's, again, rushing ability. He's one of the more, he was, at least from a, a testing from the combine standpoint, he was the most athletic. We know that Malik Willis is the most athletic in this class. Just to turn on his film, Thor uh, Nystrom, when he put out his article, uh, you know, he had the confirmed 4-3-7-40 time at Auburn. So we know he's not on Willis's level in terms of, of athleticism and size, but Ritter could fit in as that, uh, adds that potential rushing yards upside in a in a very potential forgettable QB class. That's the biggest reason why I I have interest in him. I think he's going to go day one. I think you're going to get a team that's going to trade up into the back end of the first, get that fifth year, um, and try to work with him. He's a four-year starter. Again, like Pickett, how much more development does he actually have? At least Ritter's got athleticism to him that could kind of help early on if there's any struggles. I just, from a passing standpoint, I don't think he's particularly there. He doesn't have great percentile in his passing numbers in terms of the finishes. Um, I think he could be like his best comparable on player profiler is Alex Smith. And I think that's a great fit for him. You put him on an offense like Pittsburgh, a lot of weapons, just let the man play game manager. Let him be Garoppolo. Let him be a guy that can lead the game hopefully make less turnover worthy decisions like he had in college. Cause he has some turnover issues and just let him manage the game while also providing that athleticism where he's not going to be a top 12 QB for fantasy, probably any year, maybe one for lucky too, if he sticks, otherwise he's going to be a nice super flex guy. He'll provide you a, a slight boost. And if he's on an offense that, that, that provides, you know, some decent playmakers for him, and it's let him manage that. I don't. He's not a take over the game. He's not, you know. I don't think he's a, a DAC level guy where he could come in as an under, you know, a smaller school guy that takes off. He's just, if it's fit for him, it'll work, you know, to an extent. Otherwise, it'll probably crumble, and he'll be a backup on his third team in in his fifth year. So athletic wise, I want to give some of the same comparisons like I did for Kenny Pickett, just to to drive this point home. Um, he's over a tenth of a second faster in his 40 time than Deshaun Watson. He's half a tenth of a second, which is the, you know, which is almost negligible, but he's right in the same ballpark as guys like Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, Colin Kaepernick, Kyler Murray. Um, as far as his burst score goes, um, you know, the burst score he's with, uh, Robert Griffin in that company, Terod Taylor, Marcus Mariota. He's a little bit better than Russell Wilson. Um, right there with Cam Newton. So athleticism-wise, I mean, he doesn't have the body, but athleticism-wise, it's probably closest to Cam Newton from a pure athletic and re- from a pure athletic standpoint. Not the arm talent, not the zip, not the body, but as far as burst and speed, he's right there with Cam. Now, 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 Hop, you mentioned that that you know playing for Cincinnati, you should you know you should be lucky, you know, in games against Georgia and Alabama. But when when you play the biggest games 
of the season. The best players show up for these games. I mean, they're through. And again, you say he's quarterback two in this class, which could probably be quarterback six in another class. No, I fantasy. No, I didn't. Fantasy. I said, right. Dan, Dan so, said quarterback so, two. I, I said quarterback three. If you're going to address me, <laughs> quarterback three. God quarterback damn it. Get it right. So, you know, I don't expect Ritter to be anything special, even as a high quarterback in this class, but. There's been quarterbacks through the years that have just put teams on the back. I mean, you talk about Michael Vick and Vince Young and, and uh, Justin Herbert. I mean, these quarterbacks put teams on their back. When when Ritter played against the best competition, he looked like he wasn't even prepared to go against that level of competition. And I didn't see him raise his game and lift his teammates up and say, you know what, I got this, I'm going to make plays. He just doesn't look like he is a elite level player. And I think you need to be an elite level player to be an NFL starter. You know, I, he, to me, he's like a Joey Harrington type player, right? He's oh God. Okay. He might have some good games, but he, he's not, he's not, in my Oof. opinion, he's not going to be an NFL starter. I so, think he might be a, a good NFL backup because uh, of his right. rushing ability, but I think he needs a lot of work. You just, but you just threw out a bunch of names for guys that put teams on their back. You used Vince Young, who played in the Big Twelve. You used um, Justin Herbert, who played in the Pac Twelve. Cincinnati is from the freaking American Athletic Conference. AC baby, this isn't the the Pac Twelve. This isn't a Power Five school. This isn't, you know, I get I get what you're saying as far as other guys have put teams on their back to get a school from the American Athletic Conference to the college football playoffs what, twice? Twice? How good? I mean, we, we can go back to quarterbacks like Matt Brody, who took USF uh, to number two overall in the nation. Like, to me, that's that's a quarterback. I mean, he didn't he didn't pan out in the NFL because he was too small. Right. Johnny Manziel, I mean, yes, Johnny Manziel, that, that's a, that's a uh, big 12 team. But, like, I don't see Ritter making the players around him better. It's almost like I'll, I'll, I'll take what I can get. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Plays, and you want to see that at the college level, even against Alabama, even against Georgia, you want to see him make those plays. If you think he's going to be an, an NFL starter or NFL contributor, I just don't, I just don't see it in my opinion. And that's fair. I mean, like, no, I, I, I would, I, like I'm not shocked that Ritter doesn't hit. Again, it's his class. I, I want mean, the athletic. Yeah. It's the class, and he has a great. He has a, a extremely strong athletic profile. I mean, you're looking at 97th percentile 40 to 94th percentile burst score. I mean, again, we don't. Well, I, I don't need him to be a prolific passer. I need him to be Garoppolo at best, but give me some of the Alex Smith rushing yards during his day, and we're fine. I mean, Alex Smith. I mean that that will last. Like I said, he can land into an abysmal spot and no one would fucking care about him. He goes to a team like Pittsburgh, uh, maybe, right? Everyone likes their landing spot for one of these quarterbacks because they have the playmakers in place and a sustainable coaching staff that could help them you know, develop and it's not going to change within a year or two. Oh, man. A lot of time on this class. A lot of time on this class. <laughs> a lot of time on this QB set. That's okay because we're going to try to wrap it up because I think we've gotten through. We got no, the... my, my quarterback three, we still haven't even talked about. Oh, don't tell me we're talking about Carson Strawn. That's right. Oh, oh man. Okay, we can talk about Carson Ding Strong. Don. Okay, I'm so just we kidding. got Go ahead, Brad. 
we got a couple guys to talk about. Carson Strong would have been next anyway, based on the way that we're doing this. He's uh, uh, average pick 27.3 in the seven-round mock draft. He is going uh, round three. Uh, no, no, is he going round three? Hold on. I'm just guessing. He, he's he, going round. He interviewed poorly. He's going to round four to the Commanders. He, he's, better be than, he's better than I Heineke. He, I'll say that. I, I was going to say the the best landing spot for Carson Strong is is a is a spot where there isn't a, an established quarterback. The best landing the spot one, for Carson Strong is the XFL. <laughs> That's where I think he's going to go. Look. In in this class, in this class, right? I mean, (laughs) this quarterback class is so bad. Like, if if any quarterback has all the intangibles, like, again, right? Davis Mills last year went like third round. I don't remember fourth round, whatever. Yeah, third round. So Carson Strong is is a similar prospect, in my opinion. The one thing about Carson Strong, if you watch his film, you do not see this a lot in college quarterbacks. He has a complete control of his offense. When he gets the line of scrimmage, he calls audibles. He looks like an NFL quarterback at the college level. Most college quarterbacks look at the sidelines and they're holding up the pictures. And they're like, all right, this is the play. Carson Strong will go and he's like, audible, audible, audible. And, and he will put his players in great positions. We won't even talk about his, his attributes, his arm strength. And the way you name the only things. one right there. There's nothing else to say. Arm strength. That's the only <laughs> attribute he has. Yeah. So <laughs> in my opinion, Carson Strong, he needs a year to understand the offense that he's going to, to really bring out his best strengths. So if he goes to a team like the commanders and he can learn the offense behind Carson Wentz, I think year two, he could easily become the starter of that franchise. And then it's going to come down to the medicals, right? He had the injury in high school that really like, lasted years his knee he said that it's fine we won't really know until we see where he's drafted because these teams get his medical and they'll tell him like how bad that knee is but again davis mills they're saying he's a statue he can't run that's fine when i watch carson strong he's a statue that can't run he's mike white mike white don't get me wrong like he reminds me of like a drew bledsoe type quarterback like he can maneuver in the pocket, and then he can use his arm to just find the ball into, into tight windows. Here. He under he understands his offense. Like if you're going to put him against these quarterbacks, like Desmond Ritter and Kenny Pickett, like to me, he he could have a much higher ceiling than those quarterbacks in the right situation. It's going to take him a year prior to get familiar with the offense. Can I give you? If you're not on YouTube, you should be for this. I'm going to give you a visual representation oh, of what it's going to look like. Are you going to take that shirt off again? No, I'm no. going to give you a visual <laughs> no, no. representation. We're trying not to lose more fans. Of what this is going to look like if Carson Strong goes to the Commanders. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, I'll see ready? it. Yeah. Hold on. i gotta, I got to take my headset off for this. I don't want to get caught up by anything. <laughs> over and over and over and over. He is a god because Carson I mean, he, Strong cannot got, move, and in he's, he's got NFL, Mac Jones level of athleticism. <laughs> right, and in today's NFL, it doesn't play. He has an arm, fine. Um, you know, I can't argue with the arm strength, but other than that, I didn't see anything else. It was a a redeeming quality. The decision making wasn't great. Great, he called plays at the line. Congratulations, you're the next Kellen Moore. 
He's got the most punchable I, face. I will draft. I will draft you in my offensive coordinator league. <laughs> I mean, have you seen his player profiler pick? No. He's got the most punchable face. He's, he is Mason Rudolph. It's a small school. Like, I'm not sure if he's going to hit on my girlfriend in front of me or I'm going to go play D&D with him later. But he's got a very punchable face. I mean, we, know, we know what the correlation to that looks like. There's Big Ben's his ceiling and Mason Rudolph's his floor. No sense for pressure. I mean, no yeah, ability don't, don't, to extend plays. Don't get plays. me wrong. I mean, None of these quarterbacks, <laughs> none of these quarterbacks I've drafted in my fantasy league, like this is gonna be my starter. I don't want, yeah. No, no, I get you. But in this class, in this class, if you're gonna bet on somebody like to me, he well, I mean, hey, I was high on Jared Stidham as well. So you might not want to take my <laughs> advice, but he has those intangibles, I think, to be an hey. NFL starter. Um, but but he's just gonna need a year prior to understand the offense, and I think he'd go out there and really direct the offense, and I think he's got the intangibles. I think he, he has pocket awareness. Uh, he, has he has arm none. strength. Um, you know, and he can put his players in position to be successful. So, we'll, you know, we'll see how the medicals are. If, if his legs if his legs are all right, and he goes he needs in legs the to play. third round. He does need legs no, I, to play. I'll take, I'll take a chance on him in round three or four of our rookie drafts. That's why Jason Street lost his quarterback job. He didn't have legs to play. Um <laughs> More Friday night rights. I love it. All the references. More Friday night. Hey, I rated nine quarterbacks. Uh, Carson Strong is in a tier of his own. Guess where he rated? Nine. Nine. I I saw no. (laughs) Brad's so so sad right now. And not just nine. He rated nine by a whole, by a lot. (laughs) I I, think, I think because he was getting some first round buys really early on in the off season. And then I think when, when the interviews came out and I guess he had a, like he didn't know certain basic plays or some like came out where he just looked like dumber than a box of rocks. Just tied with Malik Willis for my worst gate one percentage uh, based on college productivity. And he had the worst film score for me. Let's talk about one of your favorite guys. I don't want to spend any more time on Carson Strong. One of my favorite guys. Who do you want to talk about? I mean, we have, we, Okay. I have no, I have no more other quarterbacks to talk okay. about. Okay, I, I have, I have two that are my tier three, and we can talk about them together to save time. Okay. That's uh, let's do that. I think Bailey Zappi and Dustin Crum are both very, very similar. Um, I'll start out with Zappi. I'm just going to run through this real quick. I thought the eye discipline, the read progression, and the, uh, and just kind of the overall ability. Uh, he appeared to be very, very smart. Solid timing and zip on the intermediate throws. Deep balls were well-placed um the mechanics looked very solid to me based on five years of doing this good hip rotation into his throws really drove the football gave him some good zip good pocket awareness uh he loves football he played in a bowl game instead of opting out so you know <laughs> that's something i, I want to make sure i call out you got all these players that opted Look out of bowl games for their health that's because they, that's going to be his last game ever he doesn't want to protect himself he didn't play He's trying to get higher in his draft uh, He's athletic enough to scramble, and he plays with high confidence. He, he's not afraid to make throws. He fits the balls into some tight, some tight windows, and his placement I thought was exceptional. Um, some of the negatives I saw, throws occasionally sail, happens to a lot of young players. Um, you know, Sometimes does hold out too long for a deep play. Again, happens to a lot of players. Um, didn't have a ton of burst. Um, he might be athletic enough, but he's not going to give you a ton of rushing floor. Andy is a small, 
small school guy. Um, if you were to tell me that this would be the second or third best quarterback in this draft, I would not be surprised. He could also be nothing, right? Um, he doesn't have a lead in the elite intangibles like Matt Corral or even Carson Strong's arm strength. Um, but next to Kenny Pickett, I think he might be one of the most well-rounded players in this draft. So uh, just for if you guys don't have thoughts, that's fine. I'm just kind of riffing on this one. Um, but I have one thought. Uh, we'll get there. Let me finish. <laughs> um, he's the seventh quarterback off the drawer, off off the board. In, off the drawer. Off the drawer. <laughs> off the drawer. In face off. Uh, and he's currently projected in the fourth round of the Packers. Um, why are the Packers <laughs> drafting a quarterback in this? Because he's still better. Because he's better than Jordan, Jordan Love. Love. All right. Worst draft. That that is the worst draft. Pick we'll in, pause in for Zappy, and then I want to get to Crom, and then we'll hit a review and do running backs. Brad, what are your thoughts? I have no. I I. There's been buzz around Zappy, obviously hyper productive at Western Kentucky, but I, I don't have a whole lot of. He may be no, I mean, this year's Davis Mills. I mean, before I get into him, how's that uh, Russell's? Pick? We'll get there. That's the part that happens in between, uh, in between quarterbacks. And I just wants backs. to know so bad. Talk about where we're drinking. I just said that. Uh, uh, hey. I will tell you this at one hundred and ten percent. I just said Bailey Zappi was coming out of a drawer. So you tell me. This is gonna running backs gonna be great. We're gonna be too too tuned up. This is gonna be awesome. The the only thoughts that I have on Bailey Zappi and Dustin Crum are that in two years they'll be in the USFL. No, I want them playing for my St. Louis Battlehawks. <laughs> I'd be happy with that. Uh, yeah, they're, they're not they're not NFL level talent in my opinion. Uh, Dustin Crum real quick also. And these are guys I don't expect to be higher than backups, right? I mean, yeah. if they stick, it's going to be his backups. And, you know, maybe you get a Gardner Minshew type season who went sixth round, who was a guy that I would actually like to you loved them here. I love You're a big fans Minshew. of Minshew. We love Minshew. At least I still love Minshew, man. Come on. Coming out. So, I mean, the hope for these guys is that you're picking up the next Gardner Minshew, right? That That's basically where I'm at with it, where you get maybe a season of productivity, and then he's an elite backup. You're praying, gets another shot somewhere. Um, So, Dustin Crum is the other guy I want to talk about. Uh, he's another guy that has a zip on his throws, uh, but he is the more athletic of the two. Uh, had some big chunks, long, powerful stride, good awareness. Thride. I'm Mike Tyson now. Um, you know, there was a lot of film available on him. He's kind of a one-read-and-run guy. Downfield accuracy wasn't there. It's really hard to form out a concrete opinion, um, but he's athletic. He did have a big arm with decent zip. Um, slight hitch in his delivery, so there's some small concerns there as far as, you know, we've seen guys with with mechanical problems not necessarily producing the NFL uh, but outside of those first guys we talked about, who people are going to be all over the board on, I think Crum and Zappy are the other two names to to know in this draft and just and just keep an eye on. Uh, they rate, rated very similar film wise for me, uh, exactly the same as far as their college productivity goes as well. So uh, Dustin Crum, by the way, uh, he is not being drafted in the faceoff mocks. No, he's the 14th quarterback off the board off of, out of 15 there. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, he's projected to go undrafted. So Ooh. maybe just forget I said anything about Crum. But Bailey Zappi, I think, is he is a guy that all, look, my reputation on quarterbacks is at stake here, is in somebody might actually hit that I like. 
So, I mean, I think everyone struggles to predict quarterbacks. Yep. I, I've been very vocal about how terrible I am at quarterbacks. So, all right. I think whatever I say and do the opposite, you're probably just going to be just as bad. I'm going to hit some reviews and then you're going to pick another bourbon for me for running backs, Brad. We're going to go to something different. As long as I mean, I know, I know the three times that I've been on here, we've hyped Sam Darnold, Drew Lock, Teddy Bridgewater. Like, quarterback track record is not good for me here. <laughs> no, it's not. We'll, we'll blame the bourbon, Brad. Right? There's a Blake Bortles bobblehead behind me somewhere, um, and other guys I've hyped, I've hyped are like Brian Hoyer, Sam Darnold, and Drew Lock. So. Brian, are, we have the infamous 45 minute Brian Hoyer episode. That was uh, three. Third episode in a third night of recording. We spent 45 minutes on Brian Hoyer. Dan came over an hour beforehand to drink with me, and I convinced him Brian Hoyer was going to be good starting for San Francisco. And that was year one. 45 minutes trying to convince Nick of the same. Nick Nick wanted our old uh, our old third guy wanted to kill us. He was like, we like, why the fuck are we spending this much time on? Go ahead, somebody. <laughs> Go I'll ahead, start Dan. so you guys can talk about your Russells. So, again, I'm drinking uh, Distill Brewing uh, in collaboration with Ren House out of Arizona. Uh, this is uh, Rocky Roll. This is a uh, bourbon barrel aged imperial salt with roasted almonds, coconut nibs, vanilla. This is to resemble the Rocky Road ice cream. This is a heavily sweet. Roasted almonds are going to help with that. Very, very sweet. Uh, overly pastry. It's it's good. It's just not my cup of tea when it comes to uh, uh, to bourbon barrel age. I generally like them to be less adjunct and just more just you know you know taking part of the malt and and the shit you get from the barrel. Um, but still very good from in terms of of doing what it's supposed to do. Um, and that's what I'll say because I hate to give actual like you know biased reviews on on the brewery that I work for. So. If anyone's listening, it's the best beer ever. Nice. I'll go. My, my Russell's here. This, like I mentioned earlier, this is a ten-year-old, and I get a, I get a lot of oak in this thing. This is like a cherry oak. I've been sipping on this thing the whole episode. It's like if they made a cherry candy that had that little oak hints in it. This is exactly what it would taste like. It might be a little too old. Most of these Russells are like eight, nine years. So I'm not quite sure if this 10 years is just a little too old in the barrel, but it's a little oaky, but it's got the cherry bomb, so I love that. And I'm ready to move on to something for the second half. All right, yeah, I'm going to move on after this as well, but I, I will, you know, it's funny that that's how you put it. So this this bottle of Russell's and I have a long history together, right? I said it's the fifth bottle of bourbon that I ever bought when I started my collection, and it's still here. And the reason it's still here is because it was terrible. Um it's a 10 year old. Like I think most of their single barrels are at least back in the day. were in that range. They might've had to start to drop the age off a little bit now. Um, but when I first drank it, it tasted like licking the inside of an ashtray. Dan, I think you might've actually had this one before too. Okay. Like it tasted like licking the inside of an ashtray. So when you had me pour it today, I was a little bit apprehensive, but then I smelled it and I immediately got something. I normally only get off of Buffalo trace products in the nose, which is that wave of like you mentioned cherry. And um, just a very, very, like, fruit cocktail type of note. Like, the little fruit cocktail cups that you get. And you get the one cherry. And they come with, like, pears and one cherry and peaches. 
Yeah. Yep. And that's something I normally only get off of Buffalo Trace, but I really got it off the nose on this one. And then whatever that ashtray note was really calmed down. I get a lot of tobacco, a lot of oak out of this, uh, a lot of charred oak, which I think is what was giving it the ashtray note beforehand, which is kind of what I think you're getting when you say it's aged a little bit too much, is that there's a lot of charred oak that comes out of this. I think that's just a signature of Russell's in general. Um, it's got good depth to it. There's a, a nice kind of like baking spice, cinnamon, cinnamony, like warm finish here. Um, but it got a lot more depth and a lot more balance out of it as it's sat pretty much untouched for the last year and a half or so. I think it's how long it's been since I revisited this bottle. Oh, nice. So nice. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. What am I drinking next? All right. So I see that, uh, that yellow tube on the top. That's a, that a uh, uh, that is a barrel proof. Oh shit. I don't have that. I have a small batch of the single barrels. You have barrel proof? Yeah. Dick- of EH? Yeah, Dickie gave it to me. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He let you get it. Well, right, how about, I know hey, we're hey, having draft night. Yeah. Hop, why don't you <laughs> hop, why don't you pick and then I'll see if I have something that can match that. You know what? I got one for you. I'm gonna I'm All gonna right. do a fresh crack with you, Brad, because I like you. Nice. Aw. You got that McKenna sitting behind you? And McKenna's yeah, uh, I got McKenna. Yeah, McKenna 10 years a bottle that I know there's a lot of variants. Damn it. Some of I them are really good, one. and some of them are really terrible. Um, yeah. I got one sitting up there that I picked up at Walmart, of all places. Oh, that's Mickers. Damn it. This I was about to that I had one. This yeah. one's kind of terrible. Is it? You want to do Knob <laughs> Creek instead? I've got a Knob Creek 12 picked by uh, um, by Freddie No. And it's Knob Creek 12. This is just the shelfer, but it's good. You want to do Knob Creeks? Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'll crack open my uh, Freddie No pick with you. Oh wow! I need a sample of that, guys. I'm still gonna keep drinking my Rocky Road. Just, just want to let you guys know. I've just drink that almond, those pecans, and that roasted almonds, and roasted almonds, and extra chocolate and vanilla. Yeah, don't worry. You know, I got, I got, I got bourbon too. God, just whatever, whatever. So- when Dan said that I rub, rubbed elbows with a lot of people in bourbon, uh, Freddie No is one of those people. By the way, Brad, if you're not busy in October, um, my group does a little thing here called the St. Louis Bourbon Festival, and we're bringing a bunch of like uh, bourbon personalities in. We are actually going to do some features for like podcasters and stuff as well. Um, if you feel like making a trip up to St. Louis for I don't know. A lot of bourbon samples and charity. I'll get you dates and info and everything. And I might, I'll even see if we can get you in as a, you know, potentially as a podcaster or something to you know, yeah. maybe get to pull some yeah. people in. So I, I, mean. I just, I just launched the, uh, my bourbon lounge YouTube where I do bourbon reviews. So by October, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be official podcaster. So we're going to have like a, uh, we're trying to get Bernie Lubbers, Freddie Johnson from Buffalo Trace, and if you've ever watched the documentary, Neat, I think is confirmed. I uh, yep. think there's a chance Freddie knows is going to be there, which is what made me come up with this. I'll have to look at the full list of people, but let me see what I can do. By the way, one thing about Knob Creek that I want to call out right away, I hate their wax. This is the old wax, yeah. I think. I think they've improved it since then, but it just fragments and goes... See my hand. I gotta go left-handed for this though, because my camera. 
it just kind of fragments like all over the place on like Maker's Mark where most of it stays on the bottle. It just kind of flew off everywhere. Yeah. Now it has terrible wax. Well, so you, so you, have a only... Knob Creek, you have a Knob Creek Freddy No pick? Yep, this is a Knob Creek pick that's done by Freddy No and uh, my buddy Narav down at A1 Liquors in Effingham. So shout out to those guys in the Rusty Water Society, another big bourbon group in the area. This is a nine-year-old pick checking it at 120 proof. Man. My, my, my 12-year-old's 100 proof, so you got me by quite a bit. Yeah, but you've got me, you got a 12, so you got me on a couple of years because I've only got a nine here. So, oh, nine-year-old. Okay. I got higher proof. You got more age. Yeah. I really hate Knob Creek's wax. All right. Yeah. Let's go to running backs because I think wax reviews is probably not what most people are tuning in for. I mean, that's how we keep them real then. Wax reviews? I got wax some, reviews. I got some. Well, it is a it is a wax is a big tater thing now, so I can go ahead and pull out, like, the maker's wax if we want to do some uh, – some wax comparisons. I got some makers no, back there. Makers has the best wax, though. I think they've been. I, mean, I, saw, a slam, I, I love saw makers. Slammed up makers today. I almost bought it. It was like the whole bottle was. Did you? I've got about every makers wood finish pick back there on my shelf. I think what you see up top there is like a. I think that's the FAE 2 I've got an SE four PR five. I've got a RC six somewhere. I've got uh, FAE. I want to try that RC six. Is that good? It's pretty freaking incredible so so right now right now um i'm building a whiskey cigar room oh, as yeah. part of the lounge you guys were down here i don't know if i showed you the back room when i, I get that do. done i need you guys to come down for the weekend and i need you to pack like 10 15 bottles that's... and then we'll pop a bunch of bottles here we'll just try a bunch of shit oh yeah not at all a problem I'll... for me buddy We'll I would like love to do a full on. I got my buddy. We'll ha- I'll have him bring some some heavy hitters. We'll just drink in the whiskey lounge. Oh yeah, can certainly do that. All right, running backs. Um, first running back off the board is obviously Brees Hall. Um, as it should be. It is. Yeah, I think it it should be. I mean, are you of a differing opinion, Brad? Or are you on the Brees Hall train? No, it's Brees Hall, and then everybody else in this draft for me. Thank you. That's exactly where I Thank you. And so we'll keep this very, very sweet. Athletically attested, fantastic, very productive. Showed a much more rounded skill set, particularly in the receiving game, than what Kenneth Walker did. And that right there is a big difference maker between the two. Yeah, for me. Yeah, for me, Brees Hall has everything that you want. I mean, I don't think I don't think he's in the, the Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley level. But in this class, I mean, he's got excellent vision. He's got excellent hands. He's got speed. I mean, he can change gears uh, and really can demonstrate that speed. The only question I have is if if he's going to be scheme dependent, if he's going to need a certain scheme to be successful. I'm not quite sure, but I think that his athletic ability and his receiving ability is going to make him a good fantasy back. But I don't think he's a slam dunk. I think Saquon was a slam dunk. I think Jonathan Taylor was a slam dunk. Even though Brees Hall tested athletically as a as a freak, I'm just not convinced he's a slam dunk. But in this class, in this class, where there's not very many quarterbacks, the receivers I'm really kind of skeptical about. He's the shining star. I think it's him, and then you decide who you want after that um, in this class. 
So yeah, I do think Brees Hall can be. I mean, from from a complete prospect standpoint, he is in the same tier as Taylor. Yeah, in the same tier as Taylor. You know, Barkley. It, it, I mean, we're not going to. We may never see a Barkley again from from top five DC because you no know, teams are smarter now. I'm, I'm hopefully, and just what he was able to put from a production standpoint, from his athletic build, his size. Brees isn't like obviously a guaranteed, but it's he's about it. I mean, he's he's about as 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 perfect from what we want from a prospect in in like in where how running backs are being valued in today's NFL. So he should be a slam dunk. I think I don't think there's a landing spot outside of like you know some of the higher end running backs that are there that he's going to struggle to find or or, or to reach that production with. So. And it's it's yeah it's it's simple one oh one he he I think he's a one oh one in both formats I would take him over Malik Willis in Superflex leagues. Oh, absolutely, I would too. Um, there are only two things I didn't like about Brees Hall's tape. One of them, he pretty much shut up with the his combine performance. I I didn't see the breakaway speed on film, but he definitely showed at the combine that you know it can be there. The other problem was that he blocked too well, and I would have loved a lot more free shots at Brock Birdie. Brock Birdie, another guy who showed up well as a freshman, but boy, yeah. Oh, Brock. Birdie. Other than that, I didn't really see any any holes in Brees Hall's game. He's top speed, quick, uh, quick decision making, good contact balance, picked his way through piles well. Cutback vision was a huge plus. Fine as a receiver and a blocker. Uh, very rarely took negative plays. Um, Unless, of course, the line was pushed back four yards and then he had to gain three to even get back to the line of scrimmage, which happened relatively frequently. So, uh, Brees Hall is, has all the potentials to be elite. All right, let's move on to Kenneth Walker, who I think is, yeah, he's consensus too. Uh, by the way, Brees Hall projected to the Jets. I would hate that for, uh, for Michael Carter, and he's projected in round two. I think Brees Hall, there's a chance he sneaks up into the back end uh, round one. I do think the Jets are going to go running back day two, which is scary. I think they will. Uh, can I bold, bold call, bold call right now? If if Brees Hall goes to Houston, he's a top ten dynasty back the day after he's drafted. I agree with that. I think he's already top ten. But I mean, let's be real here, guys. The running backs are that are you know flooding the bottom of that is getting old. Yeah, and it's running backs. You don't want to be caught with the hand in the bag a year too late. And, you know, the 17 class, which was remarkable, is starting to age out. And we're trying to want to get out of those those guys into a guy like Brees Hall. This is this is what we want when we're aging into this. What we want, we want to trade our, our Cooks and Camaras in for Nets is into a guy like with the prospect profile as Brees Hall. I think he's, I think he's top 12 at least without even being drafted. I just, I just took over an orphan today. I Ooh. just paid for a $50 orphan. Look at you go. Look at you. Uh, it's a one running back. You start one running back. This owner <laughs> had uh, Nick Chubb. Uh, the His backups are like Tevin Coleman and some God. scrubs. But I have the 101. I have the 101. And I'm going to happily take Brees Hall. And I'm going to try to shop Nick Chubb for, for a few players because the rest of this guy's roster is pretty garbage. But I'm going to be happy and take uh, Brees Hall in this draft class. 
and then focus on 2023 because I think this class is Brees Hall and then focus on 2023. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, 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 I still like Walker, but he's he's not in Brees Hall's territory, and I'm a little concerned with Walker's ADP in rookie drafts, where it's, I think he's, again, it, 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 and let's just move on to Walker. Uh, just yeah, to do it. Uh, just given, he's got a great profile, right? He doesn't have the complete athletic profile. His burst score is a bit there, but every film person, I mean, literally everyone is, Walker is the best peer runner in this class and it's it's not particularly close a lot of shades of, of that nick chubb and and jonathan taylor and those guys and and i know the biggest flag and we can just jump right fucking into it is his lack of pass catching his lack of a college target share where we're looking at melvin gordon and josh jacobs i think it's it's what we're hopeful and and melvin gordon i think it's his high end ceiling and i think what I, i'm expecting is that josh Jacob's level where people like what we see on film. People, I love Kenneth Walker. He can catch passes. I see it on film, but he didn't put it on his, uh, he didn't put it on his profile. It just didn't happen. And I know what the high school guys are coming out and saying that we look good in high school. Look, Darius guys look good in school, man, too. Like this, like just because you can catch passes, if, if the team does not want to get you involved in the past, that that stuff does carry over into the NFL, and there is legitimate concern that that he may just end up being a first and second down guy. And at five nine two eleven, yeah, the BMI looks great. That's not that in itself is a concern from a durability standpoint. Can he? Does he have the body size to hold up to the potential two fifty carries you could see year over end? He's not built like Nick Chubb. He's not built like Taylor. He's not built like Derrick Henry. And if he doesn't have the receiving chops to get him to that point, I mean, and, and, and he is just Josh Jacobs, then, then he's uh, then he's just constantly overvalued as a guy who doesn't catch enough passes. And 103, 102 in your rookie drafts, that's a bit rich. And like Brad said, it's, you know, maybe we're just focusing too high on him in a weak running back class. So, but I do like him. So <laughs> his running concerns. ability and really size. I mean, Dalvin Cook's five ten two ten. Kenneth Walker's five nine two eleven. They they both yeah. have the BMI, and I think the running ability is the same. You mentioned the pass catching ability, and I'm kind of torn on that one with Kenneth Walker. And that's the biggest difference between him and Brees Hall to me is Brees Hall one a little bit better size. Two much more proven pass catcher. Well, I think Kenneth Walker looked comfortable catching passes. It's not something he was asked to do a lot, but thought he, the contact balance might have been slightly better. Um, he processes equally just as fast what's happening around him. I thought the elusiveness that Kenneth Walker had might have even been better than Brees Hall, and he was on par with explosiveness. For to me, the one thing that differentiated Kenneth Walker from Brees Hall was the pass catching ability and that slight difference in size, but BMI is the best measure for a running back, and BMI checks the box. So I don't know how much yeah. I can even hate on the size. Uh, between the tackles isn't his strength, though, which is why I think you're right. He could not end up being a three-down back, but I see it in a different way, the fact that you know it's not because of the pass catching, it's because of his ability in short yardage that I think might you know, end up taking him off the field. 
but he does also have problems with blocks, which could take him off the field. And, you know, people, one of the things I evaluate heavy in running backs is blocking ability. And people are like, well, you're a fantasy analyst. Why do you do that? Here's why I do that. A running back's ability to block will immediately tell me their ability to stay on the field, especially as a younger back or a non-elite back. If you can block as a running back, you're going to stay on the field on third down. I agree. Kenneth Walker does not have the third down back ability coming out as Brees Hall does because he's not as good of a blocker and he's not as good of a pass catcher. As far as a runner goes, he might be a better runner, especially in space. That's all I've been hearing is that just from a running standpoint, Walker, that's why a lot of film guys are, 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 aren't are so quick to take off Walker and Hall off the same tier. I, sti- I still have them in different tiers. Yeah, yeah. It, not every... You know, film guy. That's generally what I've seen oh, consensus-wise. And I fancy it, myself a hybrid anyway. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brad, what are your the, thoughts? I know you mentioned him. The thing about Walker, though, is he is he is a touchdown machine. Even at Wake Forest, when he only hit like 600 yards rushing, he had 13 touchdowns on the ground. And then at Michigan State, his final year, he had 18 touchdowns. <laughs> so he's got a nose for the end zone. So even, you know, people are like, oh, he can't catch PPR. If the dude's getting touchdowns, if he's getting the goal line carries, he's going to be fine in fantasy football. There's been plenty of running backs through the years that haven't had that high upside receiving ability. If he can be on the field, like you said, Hop, and he can block, that's going to allow him to be on the field, and they're going to bring him on near the goal line, and he's going to find the end zone, and he's going to be just fine in fantasy. So for me, in this draft, even if it's Superflex, it's Brees Hall at 101, it's Kenneth Walker at 102. After that, figure out what you're going to do. I mean, and then throw a dart at wide receiver. But I'm, I'm going to take my chances at the running backs in this class because I don't think it's that good. But if I had my ultimate chance, it would be 101 Brees Hall and then 102 I'm trading for a 2023 pick and trying to get guys like B. John Robinson and, and Tank Bigsby and, 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 and those guys. Just trade yeah. down from the 22. Just yeah. trade down. Just trade down. Yeah, trade down. Trade down. So- trade down. It yeah, um, Walker is the other one getting second round draft capital. He's projected at fifty eight to the Falcons, which I actually would love. So, not a lot of scoring opportunity there. It's a bad you're, team. You're one volume definitely. Volume. Yeah. He's also young, which is great. I mean, we always talk about rookie contracts. Age is a big thing for this too, because we we want we would love to see well, them at the age apex by that second contract and. and Walker's a young prospect. Too, and other than his senior season where he saw 276 touches, he was under 200 the two previous years. So there's not a lot of wear on the tires. So let I me ask you a question there. right now. We saw last year how CPAT basically was the Falcons running back, and there was rumors that he might be their running back this year. If they go with Walker, does CPAT become like irrelevant fantasy football? No, he'll be a slack guy. Uh, no, he's he'll gonna be, he'll he can play wide receiver too, and he's still gonna be a third down guy. He doesn't become irrelevant. He's just not an every week star. He, I mean, what he was he kind of irrelevant, him, which is a flex play. He was irrelevant before. He just becomes a flex play. He had one year of flash, but he goes back to what he was before that, which is a you know a play in good matchups. They still have giant voids at wide receiver, which Cordero Patterson can also play. And I don't think Kenneth Walker is a three down back to start his career. And, 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 you know, Patterson fell off pretty heavily towards the end of the year. As, as Mike Davis somehow got 
more work. Atlanta wouldn't be a bad spot. There's a lot of opportunity. Right. But it, if Walker's not catching passes, he needs to be able. He needs to be able to score some touchdowns. All right, the wheels are about to come off this damn thing because once you get past Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker, you could have these guys in any form of freaking order. Um, we're going to continue to go off Face Off Sports Network ADP FFFaceOff.com, um, our partner site. But I'm going to vary a lot from their ADP, and I know Dan, you will probably vary a decent <laughs> amount from their ADP. I mean, yeah. Um, and Brad, you're probably going to vary from us because once you get behind these two, it's a crapshoot that we are waiting for the draft to hopefully help us sort out based on where some of these guys go. Um, the next guy going from an ADP perspective is going at the seventh overall rookie pick. Do not agree with this at all. It's Isaiah Spiller. It was going to be the first guy that I shit on. Um, pretty, pretty heavily. He, uh, you know, for the listeners that have been listening for a while, will know this Hopper. Once he, there's always one running back that just, it's just, it's always a guy that's going in that top, you know, one or two tiers for the, you know, for there's the actually public. two in this class. By the way, I'll get to the other one, which I think will surprise. Is there you, another but, one? Okay, yeah, and I think it will surprise you unless you've peeked at my rankings because you have access. I haven't to seen them. him in a while. Yeah, I, I haven't seen him in a minute. I think so. it will surprise you based on our previous conversations, but this oh. is, Spiller's the one that won't. Well, it's Spiller, yeah, you you've been off of Spiller. Spiller, the only reason, the, the only thing that's keeping Spiller afloat is is still day two expected DC, even though that draft capital is expected draft capital is starting to dip into round four. And I don't know um, why. It, <laughs> in his age, it, it's look, film guys obsess that they don't care about his combine because of 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 the he wasn't supposed to test exceptionally well, anyways. They love, they just, they look, his vision, the anticipation, um, you know, his intangibles, his, his ability to set his, up his blockers, all that good stuff. And, and he was productive, not to the levels of like a Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker, but there was production. I've fallen off of him because I just don't think he's Isaiah anything Spiller, special. Isaiah Spiller is the lesson that I learned from Royce Freeman. That's the best way I can put it. Isaiah Spiller is the lesson I learned from Royce Freeman. He's my running back 11. The spiller is. Hey, you, you can't knock that, but Dan, like like you mentioned earlier, I, I think a lot of this hype, well, you talk about the Debbie, the Debbie community. And, that too, yeah. They fall, they fall in love with these players who have great freshman seasons, and then they never pan out, right? No. Sam Howe had that great freshman season. I think he had like 40, 38 touchdowns. And he was, then he just he was great. He it was fantastic. From there, right? Yeah. Isaiah Spiller had a great true freshman season at Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher. There was nobody else on the team to take snaps from him. But as soon as Texas, as soon as Jimbo started recruiting players, his efficiency started going down. His, his market share started going down. To me, Isaiah Spiller is nothing special. Yes. He has great vision, great anticipation, but his lack of athletic ability is going to hold him back at the next level. Not only do you have to have that vision and anticipation at the next level, but you also have to have athletic ability. You have to have speed. You have to have agility. You have to have that to be successful at the next level. To me, uh, Singletary, Devin Singletary is his absolute ceiling in my opinion. And you know what's funny about that, Brad? Because I just saw this too and I'm laughing my ass off about it. You know who the last two guys I hated were? The other other than uh what's his Kalen Balage. 
the last two guys that I hated that most other film guys were high on or girls because shout out ball blast. Yeah. We were our, our homies, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. And guess yeah. where CBS mocked Isaiah Spiller going in the third, in oh, the third the Buffalo. Oh, to Buffalo. Buffalo has their, they have their girlfriend. They, they have that bottle, their girlfriend, they want, and they're hoping eventually it's going to hit. But Isaiah Spiller is just like Devin Singletary. He is. He, they, you have, it's not a hard concept. When you're at the elite level of a sport, you need to be fast. You need to be athletic. You need to have the elite traits on, on physically. You have to have elite traits physically, not just vision and all these other things. And he, he doesn't. just doesn't have that. He does not, no. Um, you know, they mentioned- I think Devin Singletary. I think it's high end is David Montgomery because I think he's a better pass catcher than Singletary. Yeah, Montgomery it, was also Montgomery not an athletic, also a decent runner though, and Spiller is. I mean, I, I'm just I'm going off of what I see and, and just going off of what he was able to put from production standpoint. Probably Singletary. I think he's a better. I think he's better overall than Singletary. I think his absolute ceiling is Montgomery. Um, he's going to get similar, you know, similar DC. Similar athletic, but he's actually probably a slightly worse athletically. But Montgomery wasn't a hyper athlete either and had, you know, had that second level of, of gear problems too. Um, if he lands in a spot with opportunity, that'll help. The great thing about this is, though, none of us are going to have him because everybody, there's so many people that still like him. There's there's always one Isaiah Spiller truther and, right. and, and people's. Uh, in people's league. So we talk databases all the time, right, Dan? We do. You know about my NFL success baseline database, which has all of the college productivity. This is how I've been pulling like 40 times in matches and everything as I've got. It's not a true database. I'm an IT guy. I can't say it's a database. I have an Excel spreadsheet because I haven't put <laughs> it in an actual database, even though I should, of combine metrics, player profiler metrics, and college productivity. For from the last well from 2010 to 2019 three years to kind of know what somebody is so that's where the lag is in there from 2010 to 2019 there are three backs only three that have had a 40 time as bad as Isaiah Spillers Elijah Holyfield's gotta be one uh, Holyfield is not in he was a four-seven flat. Yeah, but he also, I think, was his seventh round pick. Yeah, I don't think he's here because I also am a little selective when I get to the late rounds because I don't want to punch all that shit in. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> think I put Holyfield in here because he didn't do anything. Um, usually, what happens with this database is not everyone. When I get to fifth, sixth, seventh rounders, what will happen is I'll take a selection of guys that. Were just guys, a selection of guys that were nothing in those late rounds, like maybe four or five of them, and plug yeah. them in here. So there are three guys in my success database that are even close to a four six nine. We'll say we go four six five and up. Here's the list: four six five forties and up. Samaj P Ryan. Oh, you you did like him. I did like him. That was before I did anything statistically, though. <laughs> That's true. Jeremy Hill. One year wonder. Benny Snell. Oh, God. The aforementioned Devin Singletary. Stephen Ridley. One year wonder. Alfred Morris. One year wonder. 
Daniel Thomas. Remember him? Miami. Miami. Spencer Ware. One year wonder. Alex Madison. What are your oh, just handcuff? Corey Clement. One year wonder. Kind of. Josh Jacobs. Oh, oh. Theoretic Rex Burkhead. The burst score was the even more damning part of in the speed score. I mean, all of it's damning. I want to look at speed score and burst score for him, too, just because this is part of me shitting on Isaiah Spiller. So guess what? You guys are going to hang out with me while I do that, okay? Okay. Sounds great. Like we have a choice. I appreciate your uh, cooperation in the matter. Let's look at speed scores, which takes size into account, which 40 does not. Isaiah Spiller had a speed score of 89.7. If I go to uh, my speed score database, here are the guys that have scored less than an 89.7. I'll actually take it up to 91, 90, below 92. Let's put it that way. We'll give a little variance here. Corey Clement, Amir Abdullah, Joseph Randall, if you're asking yourself who, us two, Josh Jacobs. Jacobs just, just dates bad to bad of a... Yep. A bit of a combine he had. Darwin Thompson. <laughs> Devin Singletary. Hey, that guy again. Rex Burkhead. One year wonder. Marcus Murphy. Who? Oh, that's right. Buffalo. Yeah. I think he was a Buffalo guy. They have a type. They do. Jacuzzi Rogers. Yeah, <laughs> Jacuzzi. Jacquez. Theoretic. The burst score. Because this is the most important thing for running backs, by the way, is burst score. Burst score and agility. But none of the running backs did agility scores unless they did them as pro day. 24th percentile, 113.1 for Isaiah Spiller. Uh, What company does that put him in? All right, this is a little better. A little better. Um. Guy, we're just going to go with guys below a 113.1. I'm going to read this quickly. And we'll go below 114. How about that? I'm going to read it quickly. CJ Anderson, meatball. Monty Ball, bust. Theoretic. Eddie Lacy. Le'Veon Bell. Well, that's almost promising, except for his speed metrics were way better. Uh, Devonta Freeman. Okay, yeah, that hit. Jacuzzi Rogers, Jamal Williams, Cyrus Graham, Mike Gillisley, James White. He's a pass catcher. Peyton Barber, Mark Ingram, actually successful. Benny Snell, Matt Jones, Jordan Scarlett. Hey, there's Dave Montgomery. He actually showed up as somewhat of a comparison here. Raquel Armstead, Quadri Olison, Corey Clement, James Conner, Jeremy Hill, Alex Collins, Marcus Murphy. If you're telling yourself that most of these are just guys, that's because that's exactly what Isaiah Spiller is going to be. I've been boring, stat, been boring you with stats for the last few minutes. That's why I don't lean on stats too heavy because it, if you're not charismatic like Josh Larkey, it's really boring. Um, Isaiah Spiller is not going to be successful in the NFL. I don't know how else to put it. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to throw some cold water on this take because... I'm not a fan of Isaiah Spiller either. But in my model, I just ran some comps. I just ran some BMI, 40-time, height, weight, 
Rod, Burt, some of those stuff. And here are some comparables to Isaiah Spiller. So you look at BMI, 29, 30, 30, and 29. You got Javon Leak. Remember Javon Leak? No. Yep. Maryland. I have no idea who that is. Arian Foster, Le'Veon Bell, and Isaiah Spiller. You look at the 40 time, 465, 465, 46, and 465. All four of them. He ran a 469, by the way. The pro day was 464, but you add you add yeah, time to pro day numbers. He ran a 469 at the combine. All right, so in my mind, I have him as a 465. Um, height, 72, 72, 73, 72. Weight, 215, 226, 230, 217. Verticals, 34, 32, 31, 30. And broad, 125, 115, 118, and 114. So when you when you narrow it down to those, he actually has some good comparables. So, I mean, I'm not a big fan of his, but, you know, there's Javon Leak at the very low end, and then you have guys like Le'Veon. But, again, Le'Veon was 230 coming into the draft. He also lost weight when and, he got to Pittsburgh. Right, and Le'Veon's right. a giant outlier in yes. all of this. That's why I hate the Le'Veon Bell comparison because Le'Veon Bell is about the only guy with that prospect profile that's actually freaking hit majorly and I and then didn't do anything outside of Pittsburgh. Here's the thing, though. Uh, here's the thing about Spiller. Like Singletary, the NFL liked him. Like will likely like will potentially happen because he'll get day two DC is that a team's going to use him, right? He may land into a trade sermon opportunity where he was just a bad fit and it didn't work out. Spiller is going to get, he's going to go day two round three. If he goes beyond, if he does land in the round four, then we'll just disregard this. But if, if the NFL tells us that he's going to have some sort of, split backfield role. I'm still not going to find it. himself. Yeah. The best thing about this is, is that none of us are high enough on him for it to matter and why you should be not trying to draft him because someone in your league is going to take him in both formats, especially single QB as a mid to late first round pick. And his profile overall isn't very strong and guys that he's potentially comp to are guys that never, outside of bell, who hit the nuts, like he fucking flopped the Royal flush are going to be guys that are one to two year wonders that are constantly being talked about as being replaced. A la Devin Singletary well, you're or guys who may not, they're going to break out a la Theo Riddick. Yeah. And, and he's not Theo. I mean, Theo Riddick is like what? Five inches smaller, well, smaller in weight and in a completely different role, but you're right. It, it, it's, it, it, like he he's going to be someone that we want to move off from right away. It's that again, like Brad and I talked, like had mentioned, he's a Debbie darling. He's a you know you know he's a pure film guard darling because he he he's got some flashy plays that to lean on. And the and but the NFL is still telling us that they're probably going to like him enough where he's going to have opportunity. And I'm just going to pass on it because I would rather take somebody who's got a more complete profile or has a better athletic profile. Yeah, and then that's that. Yeah. That's that. A lot of and, lot of Spiller talk. And we'll yeah, we'll end it here. But in my model, when I talked about those examples of Javon Leak, Arian Foster, and Le'Veon Bell, the other back in this comp is Letty Brown, who I believe is coming out in this class, and he possibly is going to be an undrafted free agent. But he had more receptions than Spiller. He had more touches than Spiller. 
He averaged the same amount of receptions per game. He averaged a better reception percentage of his offense. So if you're going to take a guy that's going to be, you know, compared to Isaiah Spiller, Le'Veon Bell, Arian Foster, Javon Leap, you might as well take Levy Brown, Le- Letty Brown in the last round of your rookie drafts or undrafted free agents. Throws. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same. Letty Brown is the same player as Isaiah Spiller. Without the draft pedigree, which is perfect because you can get him in the at the end of your draft where you should be taking dart throws. That's right. And, and and Aaron Foster didn't have that draft capital either. No. And I've got coming up later on, just to telegraph anybody that's still listening, probably one of the best late round dart throws you can take because this guy is getting no love and projects very, very well, at least for my model. Uh, we'll get to him in a second. Uh, but as we look beyond Isaiah Spiller, he was... Uh, pariah um dan there's a guy that i know you and i both like so we'll let we'll let brad kick this one off and get him some more well let's wait till brad comes back so okay, we'll wait till brad comes back so i'm just gonna go ahead and... <laughs> brad, brad probably had to go pee i'll go ahead and tease it a little bit then uh i have him in a tier of his own actually he is the only guy i have in tier three is that rashad white it's rashad white Rashad White, per uh, the mocks that, again, Ryan Miner is running with the face-off. He is the fourth running back off the board, early second round, per those rookie mocks. Uh, CBS has him. I'll be around five. He's The NFL just doesn't like him, and that's... They haven't gone to the Eagles in round five. It's super fucking scary. Which would actually be a good landing spot, though, because the Eagles will use late-round running backs. uh, Yeah, but, I mean, you're not taking him in the second round if he lands falling five. You're not, like, he becomes a dart throw, and that's, I love White. We, 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 you and I have, have, have waxed our thoughts over Rashad White, size, production, athleticism. The two biggest glaring red flags, he's 23 years old, will be 24 halfway through the season, the which NFL. means by the time his second contract comes up, he's too fucking old, and he's getting day three. No, no, there's he's, he's not landing anywhere near near day two, which clearly tells us the NFL does not like him as much as we do, a la running back version of Tyler Johnson. I am praying, like I did with Kenneth Gamewell last year, that Rashad White gets day two and goes to a team like Kansas City or Buffalo. We we tease that they that. Eric Benemy was at his pro day. So maybe Kansas City does that. Maybe it is some point in day three. But if Rashad White gets day two, wheels are up. He he might he he could surpass Walker for me if he goes high enough. And even if he doesn't, he's gonna be one of my favorite late round picks because I believe in in the talent and everything about Rashad White that projects for me, like I said, it puts him in tier three and it puts him by himself by himself. Now there's another guy having tier two that's getting no love that we'll talk about probably way, way later in this segment. But Rashad White is a standalone in Tier 3 because he's good enough. He he doesn't project as well as the other three guys ahead of him, but he's far and away better than the grouping of five guys behind him, which the draft, again, is going to help sort out a lot of. But, Brad, we're interested to hear your thoughts on, on Rashad White because we're, we're big Rashad White fans over here. He's... It's top Rashad four for all White. of us. Rashad White is a friggin' beast. Mm-hmm. Yay! Yay! Hey, Rashad we know White, why he brought you last, on. His last year at Arizona State, I think of the running backs, he had like 90% market share of the receptions. Like, not only is he is, is he a, a elite running back, 
but he receives the ball. He 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 has great athletic ability. I think Rashad White, like like you said, I have him at RB three right now. Um, I mean, it's limited college production, but you know he played at like San Antonio State Mountain Conference or some bullshit community college. But when he went to Arizona State, he was like forty percent of the offense his first year. I think that increased to sixty to seventy percent as as a junior or a senior. Uh, I, I think that he has all the tools to be an every down back at the next level, and I think you're going to see him go early third rounds and and I, I want I want to have a piece of uh Rashad White on my my uh fantasy teams. If I can get a, if I can get him in my drafts, I want him for sure. I hope he goes state I hope he goes round three because right it's not looking promising as you know you know I don't know if you were back here when we were talking about him but um no mock has him no as a day two back. So the concern is is just given his age and and, and potential for not being in a productive role as early as year one, it just makes him a little harder. But if he goes later in the draft and he lands into a spot that's got some potential, he'll be one of our favorite late of late round Darth Rose. Yeah. He's plus hands, subtle twitch to his game, smooth runner, creates chunk plays, strong pass blocker, above average vision. He has everything it takes to be a three down back. He, he's not super explosive. Um, he was splitting time with two other backs that seemed to be seemingly good. Uh, but there's nothing in his profile that says he can't handle a, a three down workload. It's just gonna be does he get the opportunity? Yeah, that's that's that that's the big thing for him. That is gonna be the big thing now, for him. Can I can I tell you guys? So I I created this um I've created this thing called the Stark score where I try to <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> try to rate my running backs. Let's do it. Stark score. And I'll tell you that the highest rated running backs in this is Jonathan Stewart was the highest rated running back when it comes to the Stark score. But then it's uh, Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Ray Rice, D'Angelo Williams. And I'll tell you that then you get guys like LaShawn McCoy, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Zeke Elliott, Saquon Barkley, Adrian Peterson. Then you get to guys like Rashad White. Like Rashad White just pops on this model. And I'm going to be interested to see where he goes because when he was Arizona State, I mean, he performed, right? He performs. He can receive. He can block. He can run. I, I like him. And you talk about dart throw i think that he's a first round pick at rookie drafts like depending on where i would be scared at that point fourth or fifth round Mm -hmm. but that's the problem is is that there's there's no mocks out there that have him going day two so we have to if you're going off of expected dc you have to expect round four most mocks haven't reached round seven yet and that's the concern it's also landing spot though for me too right i get the i get the concern about late round but i mean you've had guys that go round seven that land in the right opportunity because there's nobody really there a team that uses backs that way and this is kind of the pariah of the running back too right draft capital with the running back only it matters less than it does i think at any other position 
because there so many teams are using committees and hot hand approaches these days that as long as you can find a way onto the field and a way onto the roster, you have a shot. Look at Miles Gaskin. Look at Boston Scott. Look at, you know. I mean, so- those are, again, we're looking at, those are barely one-year guys. Like, the hit rates are bigger. And that's what, and that's it, what we're seeing is an adjustment into adding round four as a, as a decent marker. But if, if, like I said, if, if white's going round five and, and, and the problem is, is that the NFL is quickly adjusting and I think I just, the value of running backs right now. So even looking, you know, further back, we're getting missed potential misinformation when I don't think Barkley is a top five pick. If with all the NFL is valuing running backs nowadays, I think, I mean, and when we no, saw last year, I think it was an anomaly with, with horrible coaching from Urban Meyer and Najee Harris just being the perfect spot at the perfect time. And I didn't adjust running backs to go to round four for draft capital being a, a hit, but I know it was really close when I looked at it this year. And I think it's getting definitely and closer. I think as sure. I start to fold in, you know, next year we'll fold in the 2020 class, and as we go forward, that's probably going to be what happens. And even if you get a one-year hit on running back, right? I mean, unless you're an elite talent, you're really not getting multi-year hits on running backs. So a one-year hit on running back that you can trade to a championship contender for draft capital later is still worth a second-round rookie draft pick. Sure. Agree with that. First round's a bit rich. Yeah. And that's where, white again, you have age and you have... Like how but, how people in in your leagues you're going to view these guys differently, right? Like, but we may say you know trade them for a first round pick in your league that you play in just may not value them in that you way. Trust the mock drafts that Ryan Miner is running is going two three, and that'll probably fall if he doesn't get high draft capital. Oh, definitely, definitely. So, if he gets if he gets day two though, I'm telling you, he's gonna he's gonna skyrocket. He'll be a first he'll round pick for sure. Brad will be right there. He'll be a first round pick. So all right, let's move on. Um, yeah. Enough about Rashad White. Uh, we're about to get into a lot of areas I disagree with and a lot of areas we're about to deviate. That's fair. Um, you can start clumping these guys probably too soon. We're going to. Um, let's just go off my tears for the rest of this. Yeah. Let's go off Do your it. ranks. Let's go off ranks. I want to know the guy that you have in tier two. I think I know who you're talking about. Who am I, th- I mean, who do you maybe. Think I'm talking about? Who do I think so? Is it Keontae Ingram? No. Okay, but I also love him. So I love Keontae Ingram too, and he is the first guy I have behind Rashad White. It is not somebody I've talked to you a lot about, actually. But when I run the numbers, uh, Kevin Harris. Nope. When I run the numbers from a film perspective, from a productivity perspective, and from an athletic perspective, it checks out. Just, it's it's Tyler Beatty. Is, it, is this my guy, Tyler Beatty? It's Tyler Beatty. Tyler, Tyler Beatty. Beatty is in my tier yes. two. With my favorite, one of my favorite late round dart throws is going to be Tyler Beatty. One of oh. my favorite yes. late round dart throws as well because he is getting he absolutely be. no love. But the guy came out and did very well at the combine. He, I mean, look, he's 5'8", 197. He, he, he is Maurice Jones' Drew size. But he was hyper productive in college. I mean, this is a guy that had 1,600 yards. It, Missouri this year, his first year is a is an every down back after Roundtree left, but he's also had 300 receiving yards every year in, in a program that doesn't really throw to the running backs. He projects very well athletically, four four five forty, hundred point five 
speed score, 11.35 agility score, because we actually have that metric on him because he did it his pro day. Um, player profiler throws his comp out is is Gio Bernard, but love that comp. Tyler Beatty is a guy that that came out looking very well for me, and he is getting no love at all. He was a strong runner. He bounced off tackles. He played way bigger than he was. He had great vision, gets skinny at the line, great leg churn in short yardage situations, and he's a good pass catcher. He can run routes. Um, he can make guys miss without losing momentum. Uh, he did have three drops in a game. Not great. Uh, didn't show breakaway You speed, can't get drops if you don't get targeted. You can't get drops if you don't same. get targeted. That's exactly it. It's saying I think his upside is Austin Eckler. He's, he's got to put on some. He's he's gonna have to go to Austin Eckler workout system then. But I I I hey, look. If you're looking for a guy that could become the next elite three down or not three down, the next elite you know pass catching on third down backs. What do you mean he's got to go to Austin Eckler workouts? Austin Eckler's five nine one ninety nine. He's five. Austin Eckler, yeah, but we. I mean, he's, Austin Eckler is also a fucking workout maniac. Beatty's five eight one ninety seven. Eckler's well, sure he has similar. He has so height and weight, but does he have the Austin Eckler four four five forty for Beatty? Well, and Eckler's a four four eight. He also, I think he might get drafted higher, but. 98.8. Ecker also is a unicorn, too. So 98.8 speed score versus 100.5. He profiles better than Eckler. I don't think, yeah. I mean, that I'm not shocked by, but Eckler also undrafted free agent. And he had a 43.3 dominator rating. Let's just throw that out there, too. 16% of target share. Look, yeah. Beatty will likely go day three. And you know landing spot. I think I don't think landing spot for him really matters because I think his role is pretty set in stone, and whoever takes him will have that role in mind already. Beatty will be that round, you know, round three or four or five that every time auto select. Yeah, every time will be because he because he, he won't get the hype. Brad, where are you at on Beatty? Because. I, 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 I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brad. I love I love Tyler Brady. To me, to me, he is a weapon in the passing game. I, I have I have one one red flag on him, but when you look at what he can do, like to me, he looks like an Alvin Kamara. He's the same build as a DeAndre Swift, right? He is a weapon in the passing game. My only red flag against him is that why were you behind? fucking Roundtree for three years, right? You couldn't you couldn't break out. But once Roundtree left, I mean, this guy this guy blew up. But when you look at my model, he is comparable to Giovanni Bernard, Naheem Hines, LaMichael James, uh DeAndre Swift, Darrell Henderson. Like he has decent comps and he's getting no hype, right? So regardless where he goes, I'm going to add him to my fantasy leagues and then I'm going to stash him because I think he has elite upside. I think he'd be a weapon in the passing game. He's going to be so cheap too right now. He's going to be so cheap. He's going to be so cheap. Which he won't. Like as long as he doesn't land in a backfield with already established, you know, patch catching third down back. Like it's it's him for him. The best landing spot for him, in my opinion, is if he goes to Arizona and takes over the Chase Edmonds role. And he's Benjamin, which which one of his comparables? Yeah, yeah, he's going to be a super sleeper, 
And no one's even going to think about them because they're so stuck on James Conner and Eno Benjamin. But if Tyler Brady goes to Arizona, I am smashing that any chance I get. Yeah. Houston, I, I, I don't want them on a good offense. I want them on a bad fucking team because I want them goddamn checkdowns. I want them, I want them on the field. I, I, I want Chris Thompson usage. I want, I want, like, like I don't think he'll be a perennial, you know, top twenty-four guy. I just don't think he's going to get the volume. But I want him if he can luck in, like, if he can find himself in a James White role, a Danny Woodhead role, get him onto a team either with a sole mobile quarterback or a bad offense that's going to be behind a lot. Like, I, like the Giants could be if Barkley, it, it, you know potentially gets moved on from you know during the draft which has been rumors about on a good offense in the other way Kansas City right you know if you're going for you know high potential volume too I think he's I think his skill set's going to fit for a lot of different teams and we're going to look back on Beatty as as not like a Elijah Mitchell or James Robinson type of guy but a guy that's going to find himself very very nice Duke Johnson asked theoretic ask in terms of a PPR volume. So Brad, you mentioned you got a Stark score. <laughs> I love that so much. The so I actually implemented something this year and no bullshit. The hop with two P score. Yes. It the is hop a hop score. with two P scores. And what it is, <laughs> is it's an aggregate. It's a weighted aggregate of the percentage of possible points from the way I wait guys for their getting process based on college productivity their combine productivity and the film scores that I give them. So I take those and then I weight them. Uh, and I also assign a confidence rating. Um, the way that I weighted these Tyler Beatty was above Kenneth Walker. Now I didn't rank them that way, obviously, because I'm way more confident in Kenneth Walker's hit rate and he's a much better prospect. So, like, it's not the be-all, end-all of everything because I still apply some common logic that can't be quantified in numbers. But to give you an idea, Brees Hall is at 477. Walker's 423. Beatty's 426. Rashad White, who's the next guy down, is at 373. Based on the way... very confident in him. I... Well, that's not the confidence rating. I gave him a two confidence rating, and the five guys around him have a one next to him as far as how confident I am in that rating. So I'm not confident in how I rate Beatty because of how the NFL and everybody else is rating them. But if I'm just relying on my metrics, the way that I score people, the way that I evaluate people, Tyler Beatty is right up there with Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall. Or not Brees Hall, sorry. He's right up there with Kenny Kenneth Walker. They're like 50 points below Brees Hall. And he's well ahead of Rashad White in the next tier, guys, that we're going to talk about. So Now, now, now the, the Stark score is only... I only have it for running backs. And it's, it's, it's kind of in the beta stage, right? The, the highest you can score is a six. And the lowest you can score is one or zero, right? If you don't even hit a one, then you don't even matter. So the only running back to hit a six in the start score is um, Jonathan Stewart, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the that's the epitome um, 
After him was Nick Chubb had a five. Jonathan Taylor had a five. Ray Rice had a five. Um, Cam Akers had a five. But when you look at this class, the highest that I have is a three. And Rashad White and Brees Hall both hit a three in my in my start score. Beatty hits a two, but that's still high in this class. Yeah. Um, so no matter where he goes, I'm going to be trying to get him in my fantasy leagues just because I don't know how, how good this class is going to be. Yep. And for me, it's an aggregate I put across all positions. There's not a max and a minimum. It's a way to quantify percentages of scores I do have a max and a minimum on. So, like, the max gate one score I had for running backs, I think, was 18. Um, and then, you know, percentage of that. So, obviously, if you had 18 out of 18, you're at 100. Or maybe that was wide receiver. No, I think it was running backs. Um so, yeah, I mean, Beatty projects really, really well, and he gets no love. And I think we probably got to wrap him up, but I tweeted it out from the show account. I think we all just announced ourselves. We all just added ourselves as Tyler Beatty guys. Yeah. People should. But, but, but not to veer off, but when I look at the star score, anyone that's got a zero, Isaiah Spiller scored a zero. In my Hell yeah. Starts. There you go. And I'll always come back around to Isaiah Spiller. I can't wait for the three of us to collectively shit on the film community when he busts. Here's the next tier, and we'll pick and choose as we go. All right? I'm just going off my ranking so we can group some of these guys together. Let's do it. The next tier I have is five guys deep. Keontae Ingram, Ingram, Pierre Strong, Tyler Algier, James Cook, Brian Robinson. Robinson's going to get probably... Draft capital. It's going to be a guy that I think most fantasy gamers aren't going to love because he's not going to catch passes, but he'll be a volume play from a runner standpoint. He's projected round four to the Ravens by CBS, which would be a death sentence to him. Like he's not better by by any metric or any way to J.K. Dobbins, maybe even Gus Edwards. Brian Robinson's the lowest guy in that school. In that, I like Brian yeah. Robinson. Brian, the NFL loves him because he played for Alabama, but yeah, well, and he has a role, right? He's a good between oh, yeah. tackles yeah. runner. He he definitely has a role. It's just is it every down? I don't think so. He's violent. He absorbs hits. He never goes down on the first attempt. He's got plus plus vision, good footwork, good cutback and change of direction with no loss of speed. Gets up to speed quick. Stout blocker. Uh, a lot of hustle away from the ball, ability to create tr- chunk plays, and he's smooth. He just doesn't have any top-end speed, and he's not a pass catcher. He bobbles the ball a lot. Um, look, he's a guy that very well could be productive in the NFL with that skill set. There's a lot of things as an NFL player, as an NFL coach to love, especially that away from the ball hustle, the things that he does well in aspects of the games when the ball is not in his hands is enough to keep him on the field for Brian Robinson. Just a matter of where does he land? What's the opportunity share going to be with where he lands? Um, because I think between the tackles, he's great. He can stand up with anybody between the tackles in this game, it, it, especially in short yardage. It's just the lack of top end speed and the lack of receiving ability concerns me with him. That's why he's at the bottom of tier two. I like Brian Robinson a lot, actually. Uh, he's a guy that I'm likely to talk more positively about than negatively. But oh, yeah. Uh, there's holes. 
He's not sexy for he's not sexy for fantasy because he doesn't catch passes. Like you know, you put him on a team like Buffalo where potential volume and goal line work because he's a better runner than than the guys they have there. That 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 would be where you're looking at. He lands in a team like Houston, Atlanta, low scoring offenses. I'm completely off of him because it's just he needs to score touchdowns for him to be relevant and low volume, low scoring teams just aren't going to get that done. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Brian Robinson is that I, I put a tweet out there. When you look at the Alabama running backs, and we're talking about clearly fantasy football, right? Yeah. When you look at Nick Saban in Alabama and, and all the players that he recruited that were actually drafted into the NFL, right? You have Trent Richardson. You have Derrick Henry. You have Mark Ingram. You have Ken. Kenyon Drake, you have Najee Harris, you have Josh Jacobs, you have Damian Harris. Like all of these running backs have had some type of value. Then you have Bo Scarborough, right? Then you have Brian Robinson, right? So if Brian Robinson gets top four draft capital, whether or not he's going to be an NFL starter or a contributor, I think he's going to have some fantasy football value. So for that reason, even if I don't think he's going to be a good starter in the NFL, I think I'm going to draft him if he's there and there's no one else because I think I'm going to be able to move him at some point because I think he's going to get some type of value. When I watch this film, I don't really like him. I don't think he has really good vision. He doesn't have explosiveness. There's a lot of things that I don't like about him. But these Alabama running backs always seem to to find a niche in the NFL and have some type of volume. Even as Damian Harris for, for a year – you, you buy him low in your rookie drafts in the, the late second, third round, then you you flip him for a 2023 second or something. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you oh, yeah. make some yep. money off of that, whether or not he's going to be a good NFL player. You shouldn't shy away from drafting those players because you might be able to trade them for some value later on. So if you're sitting in the third round and Brian Robinson is staring you in the face, Maybe you take him and just wait for that value to increase, and then you sell him in your league. Sure. All right. Uh, the other guys on this tier, Ingram, Strong, Algier, Cook, Dan, any of those guys that you would like to uh, take the opportunity to highlight? Uh, Keontae Ingram. I'm glad you did. You and I both cause... obviously love him. Yeah. Uh, I was a big fan of him from a Debbie standpoint. Uh, it's not his fault that he, he got – you know, Bidgen Robinson, like, of course, he was going to transfer productive at USC. Um, he won't be a day two guy, probably. But again, you're talking about dart throw guys who has a who has a three down skill set. It's got the size, got the athleticism. He's actually tested better than I expected. And he's got the pass catching skill set. He's got the pass catching profile. He is your, you know, he he is your day three version of Brees Hall. He's not even in CBS's mock draft. Yeah, I, 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 that's the fear. He has to land with the right team, but he'll be someone I'm watching for. James Cook, I think, is going to get capital, maybe, but again, you know, limited role as just a pass catcher at Georgia, and he's, you know, Dove and Cook's brother. Yeah. I think that's where the hype generally just dies off from there. For Ingram, I thought that he had good vision. He was a good runner, decisive, didn't take negative plays, tough to bring down, stiff in the blocking game. Didn't have to catch a lot of passes. He could move piles, short yardage. Um, you know, didn't really show outside run speed. Uh, might be tough to come by breakaway. He wasn't flashy, but he was just uh, he's he's just a solid player, all around player. player. That 
I think in the right spot could do do something. Any thoughts on on Ingram? We're kind of in the everybody pick a guy mode. Any thoughts on Ingram, Brad? No, I mean, Keontae Ingram doesn't excite me. I mean, I, I'm more I'm more into James Cook. When when I look at the uh, the start score, James James Cook got a two out of six, but he also compares favor, favorably to Kareem Hunt, who you know obviously has had a really good career at the NFL level. I mean, I think Kareem Hunt had a much better college career than James Cook, but in my profile, they're very similar uh, players. So I think James Cook is is around like running back four or five for me in this in this draft class. And again, I don't, I don't really know what to gauge out of Georgia. Like Georgia had Nick Chubb, right? And he was the bell cow till he got hurt. Then he was split with Sony Michelle. He was then DeAndre Swift came on. Elijah Holyfield came on. Uh, Zamir White, James Cook. Like these guys all rotate. Like I don't know what to think, but I like James Cook and I like Zamir White, and I'm definitely going to target them in my draft if, if they're there. I'm definitely going to debate whether I take them because I like both of them because I don't really know what Georgia does with their running backs, but I, I do like, I, I like the profile of cook and I like the profile of white. It's, I, I, just, I, I wish, I wish cook was a little bit bigger. Yeah, I do too. I'll get to Zamir white in a minute too. Um, spoilers, but cook was very comfortable in a third down role. What would be a traditional third down role catching and blocking, but I thought he was underutilized, and I thought he wasn't utilized quite right at Georgia. He had the vision to pick through holes at the line, um, had some really good work in the open field, and definitely had long speed. Um, the burst and agility might have been a little bit lacking, and the contact balance might not have been there, but I thought that James Cook could have been a lot more um, if it weren't for the existence of Zamir White. And I actually have James a little telegraph here i actually have james cook ahead of zamir white which is kind of a hot take but we're going off my rankings now to speed this up and that's why i haven't talked about zamir white yet is because i have james cook ahead of zamir white i think that you know particularly after watching the film but just looking at the productivity profile too was the better back but you know we've talked a lot or not a lot but it's been mentioned on the show before you know, Dan, I think you brought it up, too, about how college teams just don't always utilize players in the best way. Yep. And, and I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's very evident. I think that was the case here. Um, the guy that I want to take a chance to highlight is, you know, I don't want to throw shade at Tyler Algier, who I think is a, another underrated prospect a lot of the way Beatty is. But uh, Pierre Strong is a, a small school guy. Um, but he was a small school guy that I think did very, very well to dominate the competition. He was fast. Um, when he got into the open field, the, the competition he was facing, right? When you talk about small school guys, you want to see him dominate. And that's what Pierre Strong did. He had almost no chance of catching him. He splits outside. He's a weapon. He had touchdown passes, passes in every game I watched. Not runs, not receptions, passes. Um, he has a great jump cut with good vision, uh, hits cut back lanes. Well, very comfortable as a receiver and for arm tackles will make you pay. It was decent contact talk balance. 
Jump cut was his best agility move. He didn't move piles that well, so it wasn't that great between the tackles. Lacks some ability in yards after catch department um, and can go full stop when he's looking for a lane. But, you know, small school running back, I think Pierre Strong Jr. is the best one in this class. And he athletically profiled very, very well. He dominated small school competition, which is what you want to see. And he's a guy that in this tier particularly I'm very, very interested in is potentially being um, elite. You know, you had a four three seven forty time with a giant speed score, a giant burst score, and a giant agility score. I like him as a small school guy too. You know, it, it's it'll be opportunity, right? Like for all these guys, he'll he'll be the dart throw. Um, you know, you know, wherever he lands on day three, I, I think I've I think I've seen some maybe some round three buzz as trying to figure out who's going to be the third and fourth back, fifth, sixth back taken. That would go in the that top would two. Put him through the roof if he went round three. Yeah, it, it, it's. I've seen small. I mean, I've seen mocks where we've seen four running backs go. I've seen mocks where we've seen six or seven. I, I, it's, I expect a lot like last year, though. We're only going to get four. And we already know the top two, and, and, and Spiller is probably going day two. So, Brad, you got a guy you want to highlight? No, I mean, we, looking at my model, I mean, I have I have Rashad White, Brees Hall, Tyler Beatty, Kenneth Walker high, and then I have Pierre Strong actually pretty high. But I know a lot of people are trying to compare Pierre Strong to Elijah Mitchell, and I don't know. I don't know if he's that. It's actually the that's actually the player profiler comparison too. Yeah, it's it, yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that this year's version of Elijah Mitchell is Pierre Strong, and maybe he is. I mean, he scores high on my model, but I really did like Elijah Mitchell, really because of the landing spot last year. Like Elijah Mitchell was, I think, was like my seventh or eighth running back in the class pre-draft. But once he went to San Francisco, it's like he fits perfectly in that, that run scheme. When we see where Pierre Strong lands, I mean, he could land as, as some scrub team. He could land in Green Bay and, and be like third third string and never see the field. It was um, what happened to Kylan Hill, who yeah. we both liked. Yeah, but I think looking at, looking at my model, I mean, Beatty is probably my sleeper. Um Obviously, Zamir White. I like. I love Zamir White. I shouldn't say like. I love Zamir White. And uh, the we fact that debate he, he tore White two ACLs, he still runs four four. Um, I think that he's going to be a contributor at the next level. But again, I don't really, I don't really care for this this class. You know, I'd rather if we could if we could get anything from this podcast. It's like. Try to stack your 2023 draft picks because next year's class is going to be so stacked. Even the second round picks are probably going to be as valuable as this year's first round picks because the talent is so strong next year. I just think this 2022 class, we're going to look back and say this, this might be one of the worst classes we've seen in, in a few years. Just wait to your third and fourth round for running backs. If you don't get Hall, See, if you don't get Walker, just wait till round three. And I agree with that take because I don't know that this is going to be one of the worst classes. I just think this is one of the hardest to predict. I think as I look up and down, really, what is my tier three and my tier four and five? 
that there are plenty of guys there that you could say would hit and I wouldn't be surprised. Like it's just going to depend on draft capital and opportunity. But I mean, you know, Tyler Algier is the only guy in this class we didn't talk about. And really I saw something out of him. I didn't see out of anybody else in this class, which is the ability to wear down a defense as the game went. you know, he's kind of that it's almost Derrick Henry. Like where you start out with getting nothing. And then by the end of the game, you just beat up the interior of that defense so much to where you're chunking plays. And, you know, I got Algier in this tier. You go to the next tier with Damian Pierce, who I know Dan's high on. Um, Damian Pierce is the only guy in the next tier I actually like, by the way. It's Isaiah Spiller, Ty- Kyron Williams, and Tyler <laughs> after that, who are all, I think, going to be terrible. But, um, you know, then you get behind that with guys like uh, Kevin Harris, Hassan Haskins, C.J. Verdell, Zemir White, where, oh, wait, I moved Tyler Goodson, like, I got Tyler Goodson on here twice. One tire one. I mean, Dan, Dan, when you when you talk about like you, you you say you don't know if this class is bad, it's just hard to predict, right? That was crazy. We've been playing fantasy yeah. football. We've been playing fantasy football for a long time, right? Yeah, you've seen a you've seen a lot of things go right. You've seen a lot of things go wrong. When we're looking at a draft class, and you look at a DeAndre Swift, we know he's going to be good. Jonathan Taylor, you know he's going to be good. Cam Akers, you know he's going to be good. Even Clyde Edwards-Lair, you know he's going to be good. I disagree on Cam Akers, by the way. Just throwing that out there. The reason that this class is so hard to predict is because there's no running back that we know is going to be good. I mean, we the internet has made us much smarter than we were years ago. There are two running backs that I know are going to be good, and it's Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. Exactly. And that shows you how strong this class is. So if, if you have to guess, most likely these running backs are not going to make it at the next level. But I think so trade your picks and focus on a class where you can identify players well, the, that are well, going to be Well, trade your high picks, but stack later, though, because you want to stack later because there's just so I, much. There's so much. There's so. There's so much potential. Dark and that's exactly here. it. And that's what I see. Different. I, I agree with you, Brad, on the top end of this class, right? Um, I don't agree with your Cam Akers take, by the way. I, I'm still thinking Cam Akers is gonna bust, and right now I'm right. Now I don't take the injury as a win, so I'm throwing that out. Yeah, Cam Akers was my. Cam Akers was my number two back in the class. I'm taking a couple of years before I take that victory lap because of the injury. I do not victory lap injuries. Just. Keeping my decency in. Don't worry, there. don't worry, Britt. I'm on. I'm on your side on this. I can't make this. highly debated. But you know, you know that I'm Cam not. Is a fucking beast. And Cam is yeah, a beast. Hey, Cam is a beast. Just because he tore his Achilles and he still came back and won a Super Bowl, he's a beast. <laughs> yeah, he barely he's did anything in the Super Bowl. But again, I don't hold injuries against players, so he's jury's still out. It, and you know what? If I'm wrong, I will happily say I'm wrong. I've done it before, and I'll do it again. He's gotten more humble as he's gotten older but in the fantasy landscape. But <laughs> I will say that this class as well, right? Outside of basically Isaiah Spiller and Zamir White, I haven't watched as many people in this class that I don't like. And that's the hard part for me and why I say this class is hard to predict is 
you could have two guys hitting this class, and you could have eight guys hitting this class, and I would not be surprised. And that's because there is... I like Keonta Ingram. I like Pierre Strong. I like James Cook. I like Brian Robinson. I like Damian Pierce. I like Kevin Harris. I like Hassan Haskins. But there's holes in all of their games as well where they could or they couldn't. And so the difference between this class and previous classes is in previous classes there are five guys you can be relatively confident in. In this class... You know, once you got by those five guys, there's maybe two or three you can be maybe confident in, and the rest you have no confidence in it at all. It's it's, it's almost worse than last year. At least yeah. last year we had three guys we felt pretty confident in. In this class, there's two guys I'm relatively two. confident in. There's eight guys I'm cautiously confident in. And there's three or four guys I have no confidence in. But it's like all of that shifted to that mid-tier of maybe. And that's where I think the biggest difference is in this class and in previous years. It's not at the top. It's not a sure thing. But there are so many maybes in this class that are going to have to be sorted out by where the draft capital is that I really like the idea of taking throws at not first-round guys but second, third, fourth-round guys because of the number of players that could hit. And you know what? You're right, Brad. Trade back. Get rid of those picks. Get into 2023. Get into later picks in 2022 with higher picks in 2023. You can package that for your service rounders because guess what? With the running back landscape, I would very, very happily take an extra third this year and a higher pick next year for a first-round pick to get two dart throws at some of these mid-tier running backs. All the value at receiver that gets pushed on to the second. Yep. Now there's there's three running backs in my my start score model, and I want to know if you guys can give some opinions on that. Yep, sure, absolutely. But Tyler Goodson from Iowa scores a three out of six. Oh, he's so. Ty much Chandler, Ty Chandler out of North Carolina gets a two out of six, and Kevin Harris gets a two out of six. Now that's yeah. that's relatively low, but that's high in this draft class. What do you think about Tyler Goodson, Ty Chandler, and Kevin Harris? I don't have an opinion on Chandler. Goodson and Harris I can talk about. Um, I didn't watch Chandler. He's not a guy that really registered with me. Goodson I don't want to like. The profiles say I should like him. And he's a guy that when I watch this film, I do not want to like him. Um, What I had written down for him is that he doesn't miss holes. He has enough vision to know when a hole is closed and patient enough to set up blocks. Smooth receiver. He's very choppy. Um, slow change of direction, not a ton of explosiveness, despite the combine numbers saying different. The combine is actually what pulls him up. Um, he didn't have showcase an ability to create for himself, and he was a liability in pass protection. And all of that says to me that Goodson's a depth guy. Um, I do not have a high opinion on Goodson, and I'll go ahead and give Harris, and we'll let Dan give both of them too. Harris, I actually have a higher opinion on, even though the statistics have rated one position lower, actually. Um, I really like Kevin Harris. I thought he had great vision. He read lanes well, um, was very quick to get downhill. He didn't miss cutbacks. He was powerful. He had no problem moving piles. Great leg churn, excellent burst, fast enough to get to the edges and work outside, perfectly adequate hands. He did have some blocking problems as well, which, again, blocking, the concern is their ability to stay on the field for three downs. Um, 
Didn't make a ton of people miss. Didn't really have a big play or game-breaking ability, but he didn't take negative plays, and I thought he was a very, very solid runner and the exact type of guy that I want to take in those later rounds. It's a solid runner with good qualities that you know may not be a league winner, but he's a guy I'm happy to plug in as an RB2 or a flex in an RB3 spot in the right situation. I'm, you know, my opinion is much higher on Harris. My rankings are slightly higher on Goodson just because of how he profiles athletically. Um, and I don't really have an opinion on Chandler. Dan? Uh, same thing for Chandler. I just, I mean, I mean, the guy was behind um, Javonta Williams and Michael Carter. He got his opportunity. UNC was a bad offense, right? It, it was him and Howell and then, and then the number one receiver, and that was about it. Um, a good sense going to be landing spot dependent because I think he's just a guy, but he's got a great athletic profile. He's got great comparables for player profiler. You're seeing guys like, you know, CJ Spiller, um, you know, fit that list, uh, in the line sign, Rodney Hillman, Reggie Bush and Darrington Evans. There, there's a whole range of outcomes for Goodson. I think that's what it's going to be. I was not a heavily usage of the offensive side. So, I mean, that's what the numbers don't look great, but we like athletic profiles and, if Goodson lands into a uh, ambiguous backfield, I think there's some potential there. Slightly undersized, so he's never going to be a three down back. But I think there's some uh, there's some higher upside uh, third down back pass catching potential because he's got that 12 percent or he's got that 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 12 percent target share. Uh, Kevin Harris has got the ideal size, great athleticism. He's he's, he's basically Zamir White with the injury problems. Uh, less of a recruit, and uh, uh, but the, that same athletic profile. Harris is a guy that that we we can look back on this draft class, and he can be a top three guy. Um, wasn't asked to catch a lot of passes, but you know he's got he's got you know better than good uh, college target share at fifty six percentile. Uh, it, it's with him, it, it's going to be health and opportunity. And I, I, he he can go undrafted. He could go early day three. I like he, he's he was a for a three star recruit. He was highly touted. Um, it's just injuries, you know, just kind of zapped him, and he's still battling back from that. But I, I do like Kevin Harris. I think he's got he's going to be one of my favorite late round dart throws, especially if he can get himself into um either a a premier backup role or into a ambiguous backup or into a ambiguous backfield. I would love to see him paired up with like Michael Carter in New York. Oh, okay. Yeah. Two guys I want to talk about here because I think they're discussion worthy and then we can go home. Hassan yes. Haskins and Zamir White. I uh, think white for sure. Cause you and Brad are on opposite spectrums. It sounds like well, I'm going to sit back and let you guys talk. Okay, let's talk Zamir White for a minute. <clears throat> it's worse Sony Michelle to me. Um, two ACL tears does not like uh, Ethan Turner from Headliners does great, great medical work, and ACL tears is one of the most damning things that you can have for long term health and re injury. Um I already mentioned I thought James Cook was the better runner out of the Georgia backfield. You know, Zamir White's a power runner with plus vision. Showed a little shake on the outside, but 
He lacked ability as a receiver. I thought he lacked burst. The acceleration left a lot to be desired, and he just whiffed on pass blocks. I think he's going to have trouble getting on the field. And to me, everybody being higher on Zamir White than I am just feels a lot like the Sony Michelle situation, where I was very, very low on Sony Michelle as well. Um, Zamir White, I don't see as more than just a guy. He's not a guy that, that I'm high on. Um, I know that two ACL tears, some of the lack of athletic ability, you can probably forgive a little bit. Uh, but, you know, to me, there's just so many guys that have intriguing upside that Zamir White just doesn't show me that, that same type of intrigue for me. Um, I, it's just not somebody I can... I can get behind from a film standpoint. He was my wasn't my lowest rated guy. He was bottom four, um, but the gate one percentage, which is all based on productivity, he was uh, my second lowest. Um, that's all based, and the two ACL tears definitely hurt that. But you know, college productivity being what it is, and injuries being what they are, um, you know, didn't really do. Combine scores are kind of throughout for running back because they got cut off early. Um, and, you know, film-wise, he's not any better than a guy like uh, C.J. Verdell. Um, he was kind of in the Tyler Goodson range for me. He was not a guy that I was very high on either. So I just didn't see it from Zamir White. I didn't see much that I liked. I know I'm going to be an outlier on that because a lot of people do like Zamir White. Um, but I think he's worse Sonny Michelle, and he's just kind of destined uh, to flounder, especially absent the right situation. I mean, I mean, I can't, I can't disagree. I mean, again, this class is 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 mediocre at best. But he tore his ACL, I think, senior year of high school, and then as a freshman in college, right? So, so it, he didn't really start out really well. But once once he got his footing. You know, he hit 800 yards back-to-back -back seasons, right? At the combine, he ran a 4-4-40 on two ACL surgery knees. Like, the dude is an athlete. His nickname is Zeus, right? He runs people over and he outruns people. Um, again, I don't know how to, to explain the way Georgia uses their running backs with Swift and Sony and Chubb and, Elijah Mitchell and, Deion, and you know all these players, but Zamir White, I think the NFL is going to like Zamir White a lot differently than than the fantasy community likes Zamir White. I think Zamir White could be one of those players that could come in and be an Arian Foster type player, where he's kind of this no name guy, but he's got all the tools to be an elite player at the next level, and with the two ACL surgeries, likely he's not going to have any setbacks again with those knees. Um, so, again, he's somebody that I'll probably take late in drafts if he's there, uh, late second, early third if he's available. And also, depending on the landing spot, he could he could land somewhere like Houston or Seattle where, you know, in a year or two, he, he has a chance to be the starter. Um, and, again, it, it's a mediocre class, but – even after two ACL surgeries, he still ran a 4-4. And when you look at running backs, you'd love to see that speed. I think his vertical jump was 33 inches. He had a 128-inch broad jump. He is an athlete, an absolute athlete. So as long as he can put it together, I think he's a good pass blocker. Um, 
and he played at, at the highest level in college in the SEC, I wouldn't sleep on him. I mean, I'm not going to go out of my way to draft him, but I wouldn't sleep on him for sure. Yeah, and I think what it comes down to is Zamir White is that every year you have to pick a guy that you're okay with being wrong on, right? And I think that I've decided that Zamir White is the guy that if I, I, I'm okay with being wrong on him, I look at his season, you know, single season productivity, because you mentioned, right, that he got off to a slow start and then he went for 800 and 770 or in, you know, 700 and and 79 yards when I pull up, you know, the NFL success numbers there, right? And the guys that sit around, you know, who are guys that produced at any level or didn't produce even with under a thousand yards in any single season. Um, and I'm just going to run through the list. Here are guys in my prospect database that have had under a thousand yards in any single season. Let's go with under 900 because he never topped 900. Make it a shorter list. Christine Michael, Damian Harris, who I like actually, is at Bama and in a very mixed company backfield. Ty Johnson, Chris Thompson, Matt Jones, CJ Anderson, Meatball, Jordan Scarlett, Bryce Love, Spencer Ware. But then there are other guys too that could be the reason that I'm wrong, like Alvin Kamara, Kenyon Drake, um, Josh Jacobs, Chris Carson. But then there's Caleb Lodge, who is probably my most hated running back, along with TJ Logan, uh, Alfred Blue, Bryce Brown. So, you know, it, could he be a Chris Carson or a Josh Jacobs? Yeah, I think that that's probably the ceiling that you're hoping for. Um, I, you know, or even Kenyon Drake, who's had some productive seasons, who I'm actually a fan of. I don't think he has the upside that Camara did. Camara was so low because he was extremely misused. Um, you know, and I just look at it, it that product productivity, and it's a pariah because the athletic profile. I agree with you; it's absolutely there, and the, the athletic profile will be the reason I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I you you just listed a bunch of running backs that that ran under a thousand yards, but they were all healthy. They were all healthy running backs. Zamir White was a five-star high school recruit, a 99% five-star high school recruit. And the only reason that he struggled is because he had two knee injuries. He had so two now knees. that that's behind him, right? How much further behind him can you get than a single season, though? And that's kind of where I'm at, right? He, he hurt one his senior year of high school and one his freshman year. So his ACL injuries are... Let's see, his freshman year was age nine, two years behind him based on this year, and he still only managed 850 yards. Year two versus year three, right? We see ACL injuries all the time in the NFL. A year removed from ACL injuries, guys are producing at the same level they were producing at before the ACL injury in most cases. Dan and I have famously argued about this a lot on this show, particularly with Cooper Cup, who's not a running back, but... You know, still a great route runner, which requires a lot of ACL strength, especially in change of direction. And I just don't know that the difference in year two removed from an ACL injury to year three removed from an ACL injury is enough to sell me on the fact that the injured knees were the problem. 
Now, when, when Zamir White played at Georgia, he was the leading rusher every season that he played. So it was Elijah Holyfield, I think. Well, yeah, he, he and Donjay Swift rotated. But but Zamir White was a leading rusher, and, and James – I mean, so I don't know what else he could have done. I know he didn't hit 1,000 yards, but in that offense, I don't know what else he could have done. He was the leading rusher both years that he started. Well, and you're right about Georgia kind of being a pariah, right? Because DeAndre Swift – uh, actually, I want to go look at this real quick. I'm gonna so, look so we're basically there. arguing over knockoff Nick Chubb versus knockoff <laughs> Sony Michelle, because you know Nick Chubb, one of the best pure running backs we've seen in a very long time. DeAndre Swift went over a thousand yards on the same number of carries. Elijah Holyfield uh, only got had one year of production basically, and that was his final year when Swift. Was a freshman. Yeah. Swift. Or, had, I'm sorry, a sophomore. Swift me, a sophomore. had two. He went over 1,000 yards on 160 and 196 carries. That 160 carries is right around what Zamir White got. I, I mean, Zamir White got three less for 150 yards less. Um, Nick Chubb had two seasons over 1,000 yards, um, but a had, lot more he, work. He had his ACL tail, his ACL tear. It, in between, so in between. I mean, he came back right. so strong. And then he came back very strong. I mean, he's yeah. also yeah, well, insanely good. So well, we're not we're not debating like RB one, RB two. We're debating like if you're in round three, are you taking Zamir White or Tyler? Again, Bates? the answer is going to be landing spot and opportunity uh, in year one because these are the guys we don't yeah. care about what it's going to look like in year two, year three because they're probably going to be on either different teams or. We're going to be well, looking on the next year's class. The answer is, is that I'm if in round three of my rookie draft, I am taking Keontae Ingram before the draft. This will all change after the draft. But before the draft, I'm in round three of my rookie draft. I am taking Keontae Ingram, Pierre Strong, Tyler Algier, James Cook, Brian Robinson, Damian Pierce, Isaiah Spiller, Kyron Williams, Tyler Goodson, Kevin Harris, Hassan Haskins, and C.J. Verdell. That is Amir White. <laughs> you know, all right. What? One thing that I that I'm okay I with being wrong. One thing that I take in consideration is like when these guys come out of high school, and for Zamir White to come out as a five-star recruit, 99 percentile, that holds a lot of weight for me because I, I think the injuries held him back, but I think he was probably one of the best running backs in his class, and that tends to translate. So. When I've done a lot of research, you could be a five-star athlete and not make it to the NFL. But if you're a five-star athlete and you do make it to the NFL, your odds of hitting are a lot. You have a bigger chance of hitting if you actually do get drafted and you were a five-star athlete. Does that make sense? No, it, it does. does. And I will and I will straight up tell you, I pay no attention to that. I don't pay attention to Debbie. I don't pay attention to high school. And maybe that's a flaw in my evaluation process. We'll find out. At the end of the day, if you're right, I will pour a glass of bourbon with you. We'll cheers it, and I will tell you you're right. No, I, I don't need to be right, but we'll cheers bourbon no matter what. We will. <laughs> but I, I'm just saying, I will adjust my take if I'm wrong. Zamir White is the guy that I have picked that I am okay about being wrong on this year. The one, the one caveat is if I if I'm ever debating on a player and, I, and they are a five star high school athlete, I I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt that they have the tools to be successful at the NFL level. I just have a lot of recency bias because I mean I looked at some of these guys that are, 
Another benefit of the fact that we rely on, I guess, shout out Matt Kelly and formerly Josh Larkey, that we rely on player player profilers heavy, heavily as we do when we do this stuff, is that before the combine metrics are there, the high school metrics are there, and you know you can see how far guys come in between the two, and being a five star out of high school, you know. I'll give it to you on Zamir White because he athletically profiles great. Doesn't always translate that way. But I, I totally understand where you're coming from. And again, you could be right. You are in the majority in your feelings as Zamir White, and I know that I am in the minority. And I'm okay with that. It's a guy I'm okay with being wrong on. And in three years, when we're all still doing this because you're going to stick around too, We'll bring you on for this recap episode. I can't wait for Zamir White and James Cook to not be to just be guys well, and be like, well, "Oh, let, hey, let, let, let twenty-two let class is terrible." Pop, Pop, let me tell you something. If you don't look at the high school recruiting, so the way they recruit high school, mm-hmm. there's only thirty-two five-star athletes a year. There's yep. only thirty-two because what they're predicting is. One for every NFL team. So for Zamir White to have a five-star rating, he was basically one of the best 32 best players in his class. Can't wait for him to go to the Rams, and then I can just root for him and Cam Akers to both fail. You know who my favorite five-star recruit is? I didn't make it, Brad. Trey Quinn. Trey Quinn. Trey Quinn. Trey Quinn. Mr. Irrelevant. He's a five-star. He was a five-star at LSU, and then uh, he, because he didn't get playing time, he transferred to SMU with Cortland oh, Sutton. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I, uh, I also like the whole five-star. Like, I, I like knowing what college thought of these players, and, and White's going to be like we guys have talked about. Um, it's, it's was it injuries or was it just Georgia's lack of usage of them? Or, did it, or is White just not fully, completely back yet? You know, he had an ACL on both knees, ACL tear in both knees. It's like the guy is off to a rough start in his football career. But the NFL has told us through mocks that they kind of like him. So, again, let's let's come back to this. Brad, we're going to have you back on in the redraft, on the uh, draft recap anyway. So let's let's talk about. Let's talk about these guys when we get our landing spot in our our DC. I I, uh, I love you guys, but I'm already fucking bad. <laughs> I'll, come on, I'll come on anytime you guys want. Oh, oh, oh yeah, I, I know you will, and I want to get you back on for the recap so we can go back and rehash some of these these conversations when we get the the most important information, and that's where they're playing, you know, football for the first four plus years. That's right. Okay, I guess this is where I wrap it up, huh? <laughs> so, I mean, do you have anybody else you want to talk about, Hopper? Uh, I'm sure. No, I do. I'm not. sure you may. I think we. Okay. No, I, I, I don't. CJ Verdell is an interesting receiving prospect to me, but I don't really have anybody else that I want to talk about. I think we covered it all. Nobody else I want to shit on either. Uh, actually, one guy we didn't get to that you might want to talk about though, Dan, Damian Pierce. Yeah, Damian Pierce. Uh. Highly underutilized in Florida, but was pretty much a good running back room his entire career. Uh, from a production standpoint, it's obviously didn't hit a lot of check marks, but he's big, he's fast, and uh, he's getting that buzz. 
potential early late day two buys. Yeah. Um, it could be uh could be a Camara like situation where he was just highly underutilized in college and then he finds his footing in the pros. He has again another day two or another round two, round three guy like he has great acceleration, he hits the hole like it's a casting couch edition. Um <laughs> breaks uh, <laughs> uh Brad missing. Oh, you say that went till now? I did, you yes. Should- you gotta look, insert that. You gotta look, insert that one, like two, look, like dude, fucking two hours ago. Look, man, I don't. When the crowd hasn't given up on us. I don't remember the shit I that I put into these things <laughs> as I write them and who it's I wrote whole, something like, funny about. It's just whatever I decided to. But Damian Pierce <laughs> hits the hole like it's a casting catch edition. It's got to be one of my all time greatest notes. That, I'm so pissed that 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 got that got used his first time. In three and a half and hours. And show that's three and a half hours into his recording. You know what? You can be pissed <laughs> off about that. That's why you got to listen to the whole show because you might get great <laughs> anecdotes like Damian Pierce hits the hole like it's a casting couch edition. The one goddamn degenerate, Ryan Miner. Keep watching Brad to, to see if he's paying attention or if he'll pop for that one. He yeah. has not yet. Oh, I, I, uh, he gets about a lot of bourbon. That's beat uh, like six times. Anyway, breaks a boatload of tackles, comfortable as a route runner. Vision is there. Uh, one cut, downhill runner. Uh, that one cut is uh, pretty good if the hole isn't available. Not elite agility. Pierce is a guy that sits right up there with the Huss. Um, excuse me, I got the hiccups. I've been drinking. He's the first guy I have in the tier in tier four. Yeah. I had a Spiller. I had a Williams. I had a Goodson. I had a Harris. I had a Haskins. So I wanted to make sure we got him in there. All right, that's the show. Brad, one more time. Where can people find you? Where can they check you out? How can they support you? Because you're a great conversation every time we have you on. Hey, hey, Roto Lounge at, uh, on Twitter at Roto Lounge. I got the new uh, YouTube, the Bourbon Lounge, where we do whiskey reviews. And then hashtag Bourbon Bowl, Bourbon Bowl 3. If you're interested, hit me up on Twitter at Roto Lounge. Appreciate you guys having me for sure. Always time, buddy. Always. Um, right. <laughs> I've had a good amount of bourbon. This is so good. This Knob Creek is good. This Russell's is good. Um, How is that Knob Creek? Yeah, we should compare nuts on the Knob Creek real, real quick. <laughs> mine, mine was super nutty, but I, I like it. Mine is also super nutty. Um, it's the proof definitely shows. It had some pastry notes to it, though. Um, it's a it's a solid drink. I mean, you know. It's not something I'm going to be like, oh, my God, this is amazing. It's the best thing I've ever had. But it's, you know, Knob Creek's a very solid pick. Anytime you can find a store pick, especially. So I'm at Beerfield Hop. He is at Beerfield Theory. We are presented by the Face Off Sports Network. Who's Actually, they don't care. But if they were a real network that. I shouldn't say that. They are a real network. They're very good to work with. They were bigger assholes. Let's put it that way. They'd probably be mad we just did a three and a half hour episode. But they're not. They let us do what we want to do, which is why we love them. So Faceoff Sports Network, FFFaceoff.com. Uh, we're part of them. We're Beerfield Podcast on YouTube. If you want to watch me simulate Carson Strong getting tackled behind Washington's offensive line <laughs> or be shirtless or anything else that happened on this episode, uh if you're on YouTube and you're like, holy shit, I don't want to see these guys, uh, beer fueled everywhere you can get podcast.
Um, we'll be back next week. We'll have Miguel on to do wide receivers and tight ends. I would say that'd be a shorter episode, but I can't promise that given the wide receiver class. I think that's going to go on Thursday or Tuesday, Tuesday. I think that's going on Tuesday. So Tuesday next week, we'll be right back here. Thank you guys for tuning in. And, uh, now for, I'm not using the graphic that has all the only outdated information. I'm just going to use the intro graphic again. See ya. See ya. See ya.